and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and by gods, one of the most important eras of wrestling history. I'm your host, Dave, and today we're going to do things a little differently. We're diving back up north into the world of WBF, one of the most iconic pay-per-views of all time, King of the Ring 1998. We're going to maybe analyze this a bit more, uh, more go less through the matches, and more of the big differences between uh, WCW and WBF at the time, opposed to a pure review. If we're going to be scientific about it, I need a team, and I have no better team in the world than first, Fergus Looney. How are you doing today? Are you ready, Dave? Dave, at least at least Connor got it. Hey, <laughs> hey Dave. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's nice to take a break. You know, go on holiday, go up to chilly northeastern eastern side of of the country, and uh, experience something very different and yet very similar all at once. And of course, uh, the panel can't be complete without Connor O'Donnell. How are you doing, Connor? Oh, you did know? There, there. Now, we we know that one. Yeah, we know that one. I, guys, I'm really looking forward to talking to this show. Like, unlike Canadian Stampede, that was the last WWF show that we covered. There's some bad that we get to talk about, but uh, for this show, this is the first time watching this for me, front to back. And we're almost at the point where I started watching week to week. Is pretty much close to the exact moment. But the Hell in Cell match definitely played in a part of me getting into interested into wrestling for sure. Yeah, one of, one of my big moments of getting really interested in wrestling is I liked it a bit. Uh, I liked uh, Mick especially, and I read his autobiography uh, after all this, obviously, and that gave me a really good perspective and like a really deep dive into the industry and probably why I've become such a mark as I kind of grew up with, as a lot of people did reading his book. We're going to talk about it a lot in the episode, but it's a huge wrestling moment, like it or hate it, and I think a lot of people our age have it. It's like prominent in this era in their mind. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think about, too. Both companies kind of create the biggest moments of the year within like a couple weeks stretch. So our next oh, show true. is going to be the Goldberg mm-hmm. Nitro and that that's only a few weeks away. So it's, uh, you can argue though, those are the two biggest moments of the year. I would say. Definitely. I think Dave for me, yeah, I would have been watching week to week by this point, but this is definitely an inflection point where it went from like, yeah, I guess I'll watch it if I can. And when it shows up, whereas now it's like, okay, I, I got to make sure I, I tune in to see what absolute nonsense happens. So I was watching WWF at this point. I wasn't watching WCW nearly as regularly, but it's very, very memorable. I, I remember watching this live and not knowing what the fuck was going on. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. It was very, very strange. I didn't start doing pay-per-views until October. Mm. I w- got to watch very few pay-per-views growing up. I was always, uh, we had it on Sky over here, uh, which is, I guess, a did, bit like... Did you guys do the Scramble Vision? I tried to a little bit when I was young and, and didn't get much. Like Okay. I, I have a story about Scramble Vision on a later episode. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember, uh, I don't know if they do this pr- promotion. I remember getting a Royal Rumble pretty much perfectly clear once. And I think they accidentally basically let it leak. And that was the most exciting time of my life. But yeah, like pay-per-views were expensive. And every now and again, my family would get a Royal Rumble because that was a big occasion. But I didn't get to see these. So I had to like see them on the replays. Like just watch her all replay the pay-per-view a hundred times and do a bunch of rematches. Yeah. Yeah, our, our, our gimmick was all the friends in school were the the big wrestling fans. We, we just band together and we, we would splurge every month. A lot of fun. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah. My, my, my undying memory of this is that, so my dad would have Sky Sports because he would have followed golf and 
soccer and stuff and the wrestling was just part of it you didn't have to pay extra like you didn't have to pay for the pay-per-views but it's a sunday night like unlike you guys it's one in the morning when stuff starts so i'd have to like creep down in the middle of the night and like turn it on but not have it too loud and keep all the lights off and stuff like that and make sure and then like the next day they'd be like why are you so tired i'm like no reason (laughs) so so Gus, you watched. You said you watched a lot of this uh, while you were a kid. Do you have as fond experience rewatching it now that we forced you to watch all the Raws coming up to it? Or, <laughs> I mean, to be fair to Raw, it's only two hours. World so of difference. <laughs> it's it's a lot quicker. Like even though it's garbage, and I can get into it, it's quick garbage. So you can get through it, and you kind of forget about half of the terrible things that you've just watched. So it was it was easy enough to to get through. I, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it's it's quick in length, but it's also quick in pace. Yes, WWF is very snappy, and I yeah. think that's like I think that's actually a positive. Yeah, there's not a lot of time for you to dwell on something or to really get worried about it. You just kind of go, oh, we're on to the next thing now. Let's just let's keep going, and it's inevitably centered around one thing because they, I don't know, there's maybe two stories going on for this month when you break it down. I will say one thing I've noticed, uh, I guess that's a bit prominent in the NWO stuff, is a lot of the stories tie into each other. There's four people that are important in this company at the time. Gus has been talking to me about this a lot. Austin, Undertaker, Kane, Mankind. Those are the, uh, I'm sorry, and Vince. Mm, apologies. Yeah. So you, have, uh, you have the fight. I'm sorry to bust your bubble right away, but Mankind is not one of the four. How <laughs> and nor, dare and realistically, you. nor is Kane. There's three people... And that's it. <laughs> and they have an inkling that The Rock is going to get yeah. there, I think. Yeah, you, to be you, perfectly you see, honest, Rocky is above Kane and Mankind. You, you see Rock and uh, DX making impressions, but they're, they're in the mid-card. It is, it is the Austin Vince show. But that means a lot of mid-card stuff ties in, because The Rock is with um, The Nation, obviously. And The Nation is just feuding with everybody. Like The, the Nation has its fingers and every pie that isn't just the main event. So whenever there's a, a scuffle, it seems, The Nation are involved. So you can tie a bunch of stuff together. That's yes and no. We'll see later on the pay-per-view. I'm going to bring it. I'll bring it up again because it's very, very funny. Every single time they go to a match, they always get kicked out. (laughs) Without fail, the referees are like, no, you can't be at ringside. And every single time they all be like, what? Why? Why? Like it doesn't happen every single week. And it's kind of stupid because do you think they eventually just not be so mad about it because they cheat anyways. Yeah. But I, I do like that subtle difference because I wish WCW would follow through on something like that. Yeah, they're hey, consistent. Yeah, and I wish J.J. Dillon would, hey, NWO, no, you can't come out here. Just yeah. just make some effort. So, just do, do a little yes, bit. they're kind of, they kind of get in the way of everything, but that's because there's five of them. They're wrestling in different parts. So, like, Owen has his own King of the Ring match. Rock has his own King of the Ring match. Mark Henry has his own King of the Ring match. They all do. Yes, they're involved with everything, but that's because there's so many of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's because of the tournament itself. If not for the tournament, I'm not so sure that they would be there all the time. That That's absolutely fair. And he is the uh, Intercontinental Champion at this time. So, of course, he's going to be prominent back when the title meant a lot more. But besides the personnel, I want to ask you guys who uh, watched Raw, what do you think of the production? Like the difference between Nitro to Raw, the like, presentation even? I think the pyro is much better. It's just the pyro mm. is just much more in your face and it, it's definitely superfluous. But it's, it's more great. explosive. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Like WCW's is more like sparklery, if that makes more any farty, sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you guys think that, uh, that Nitro is more polished at this stage? I don't. No, I wouldn't say either of them. Uh, they're just kind of different approaches to it. 
it it was nice to watch a WWF show without infinite cuts. That was nice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was very noticeable. A very noticeable difference uh, off the bat that we can it, we'll definitely be talking about in the show as well is they would frequently and I remember this as a kid too. They frequently have talent as guest commentators during matches, and they they mm. do this every week on Raw. Which yeah, I yeah. actually like this touch, but it obviously has very dim- diminishing returns depending on which talent is doing said commentary. Yes. Um, so on the Raws, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett would actually do commentary, and he's actually not that bad. Yeah, he's not yeah. bad. That, that is interesting, and I do remember that happening a bunch more, and I wonder if it doesn't happen anymore because for as high as that can be, like the goods, the really good commentaries and confrontations you get out of it, you get some stinkers, I imagine. You get some people you that just kind of, kind of get discovered that if they don't map out their promo, they're not very good, you know? Shamefully, I didn't get to watch one of the matches. I wanted to watch the go home match, uh, but I only got to read uh, read reviews of it and watch some reviews because of some mistakes with the the network. But something that we get in the go home match is Austin and uh, Undertaker versus Mankind and uh, Kane and a Hell in a Cell match. So even though the Hell in a Cell is going to be in the pay per view, the ratings war is so intense that they're popping like this marquee match on their Raws. Well, that's a bait and switch. Well, yeah, but like they're they're they advertise it for it. Advertise. Right? Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it has some cool moments in there too. It was kind. Of, yeah. I liked. I had never seen the moment of them of Kane and Austin going onto the cage until On the cage. Yeah. Until I watched this show yesterday, like so, it was a nice foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I should I should definitely word a bit. It's not a full blown match, but it is that kind of. We're, I guess I'll, we're very used to it with WWE now, but this kind of almost false advertising to pop something, right? This kind of like, ooh, maybe you're going to see something very special on Raw if you tune in to the end. Kind of. Yeah. The other main thing, though, there, just so you, you can get clear, that's not the go-home show. That's not even the go-home show. There's another week after that before. Yeah, the there's another week after that. The go-home show is when Austin gets blood on is, him, right? Or Austin I'm gets very, blood. I am very sorry. I have them right. literally mixed up in my timeline. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see such like high profile moments on on Raw instead of uh, instead of an actual pay per view, right? Like that they are really trying to draw on viewers. Do, do you think this is a week to week thing? Do you think that's just a coincidence that coincides with this big event? I, I think it's definitely WWF has kind of turned the page here. Yeah, I mean, if you compare to what we watched last time we covered, it's just a different company completely. So when you think of the show, it's called King of the Ring. The show's really not about the tournament at all. Sure, we have tournament matches and stuff like that, but that's not the focus. And going forward, WWF basically just kind of drops King of the Ring soon just because it's just like, eh. You know, the, the mid-card title doesn't mean exactly what it means. And same thing with King of the Ring. There's no, like, stepping stone, really. Even though JR says it is, but it really is not anymore. There is a particular commentator who I'm sure we will talk about later on in the show who epitomizes the difference in terms of tone and what they're yes. willing to say mm-hmm. <laughs> and what they're willing to go about as a thing. And that permeates right through the entire run. It's very, very different from Nitro in that respect. I think personnel-wise, too, not having Brett and Sean, it's just you have to change it up now because you're not you're not going to have your Iron Man matches and stuff like that anymore. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's such a swing from that and and that kind of uh, that era where they seem to be giving kind of slightly older school uh, wrestling more of a chance, like longer matches, uh, small high-profile guys. It's just wet melodrama out the wazoo now again, right? It's this is Vince Russo at his like peak of his powers. You can yeah. tell it's all over the show. One comment I wanted to make, and I'll point out when I see it in the pay per view as well. Obviously, 
the Hell in a Cell match reflects this a bit. But there's a lot of talk of uh, the attitude of ECW being kind of uh, used by WWF here. What I always found funny, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree, is they took what they wanted. So ECW had a lot of garbage matches. Don't get me wrong. I'm not some kind of person that thinks that all their matches were fabulous. But they mm-hmm. seemed to do the triggering circus a little bit. They had like their melodrama. They had their car crash matches. But they tried to bring in, like they had the undercard of WCW. So it's almost as if WCW stole their undercard and WWF went, no, actually, we want all the, the garbage. We'll, we'll take the scantily clad women getting involved in angles and we'll take their wrestling that's like five minutes long, but someone hits a finish and the, the fans go crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think them incorporating two gimmick matches as, the, as their double main event, I, I, th- I think that plays a part in it. Having the first inaugural First Blood match for the heavyweight title, like that's it's unheard of in the WWF, like just a few years prior. Also, the main event is a fresh match. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen it before. Correct. Definitely not for the title. Kane is a so very new character. He's only wrestled The Undertaker, basically. Yeah. Also, you, you've given that uh, that stipulation to the main event too much credit. First Blood is too legit. It's First Blood, and a man might be set on fire till he's dead. <laughs> yeah, we haven't <laughs> mentioned that yet. We'll get there. <laughs> but we'll we're going to get to it, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for uh, slogging to the Raws for us again, guys. I think we're going to jump into the pay-per-view, though, because there's a lot of stuff and a lot of contrasts we can pick out. And it, uh, it's we will start with the introduction, the full biblical intro that mentions the four men in the kind of co-main events and Vince. The premonition mission mission. This cane is your destiny. destiny. A first blood, blood match. The prophecy. No force on earth can stop destiny. Not even Stone Cold Steve Austin. The book of three sixteen. I bled before. I ain't afraid to bleed again. Your big dead ass belongs to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Revelation. If he does not become the World Wrestling Federation champion, I will set myself on fire. The Black Angel. I am the Lord of Darkness. Bouncing his skull off the steel cage, dropping parts of my body in order to ruin his. Hell on earth. What he calls hell, I call home because I am going to love every minute of it. Dear God, have mercy on their souls. And now. Super Soaker presents the 1998 King of the Ring. This is not subtle, very dark, very biblical, and completely undercooked by afterwards. Uh, it's a Super Soaker presents King of the Ring. <laughs> yeah, we have Premonition, pre- Prophecy, The Book of 316, Revelation, Black Angel, Hell on Earth, and then it's, yeah, Super Soaker. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I'm surprised the gasoline wasn't in a Super Soaker. With oh, him. my goodness. Man. They've they missed the missed opportunity. <laughs> Already, we, we, we've gone back and forth on the WCW one. Some have been very good, some have been very bad, but I, uh, this one does not, like this intro does not feel fantastic. It does a fine job of catching us up and maybe setting a bit of a tone, but 
feels saying dated is bad because maybe at the time it was a bit better, but even for the time it feels a bit dated. I thought this was way better than WCW's attempts. Yeah, really? I'll take yeah. this over over, okay, over okay. WCW yeah. any day. It you understand what's going on. Like it That's explains everything. <laughs> what I like about it more is so they use the different snippets. So they they mm. have the WrestleMania 13 callback. So yeah, they use they reuse that shot so many times. But I think it's really nice to have callbacks to important yeah. moments. But yeah. but it's like important moments like of the company, but also like pr- for like the characters. Like obviously it's visual because he has all blood over his face. But I think it's just like good world building. Yeah. The one thing that WWF excels at, it, like it's it's world building, and it happens on this show like numerous times. Yeah, I was just about to say there is a particular again. There's a particular match, and oh my god. It, they use it a lot. Uh, oh, yeah. That, this is very fair. Uh, maybe I just don't like the motif in general, not giving enough uh, credit. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it is concise. And I think uh, when they throw it over to JR and King, it is also very concise. Uh, I know these are legendary commentators at this stage, but they do a very good job of summing up what's going to happen in the main events. Yeah, like, like I said, like when I said the they're very good with their pace of the shows yeah. that that plays a part of it. I think the commentators are always on point. It's never superfluous like WCW where we're like, all right, we got three commentators. So everybody has to say their thing. And it's just, Oh, the two commentator boot. I, I wish more companies would stick oh, to two it's commentators. It's so good, isn't it? Oh, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously the, this is the height of both these men uh, as problematic as some of us, their commentary can be at times because of the era. They are just all times greats when it comes to this. And th- there's some moments they have where they're not on their game, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we have we'll plenty of that But uh, just one quick thing about the package, though. Like, th- there are better WWF packages for sure. This was yeah. just like, yeah. if, if we're looking this, at this as a, in a vacuum, fine. Like, it's 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 fine. But yeah, if, if I had to compare it, like, if we're watching all the WWF shows from this year, yeah, it's, it's middling at best. I, I get it's just something the company becomes so good at later. So, like, compare this to My Way for Mania or something like that, or uh, running up that hill for Taker, uh, Michaels. Now, obviously, they, they've become very polished by that stage, but they jump oh, yeah. on bounds and bounds at that stage. Yeah, the uh, the rock bottom pay-per-view, it's one of my, still one of my favorite promo packages. Yeah, yeah. And so I th- buried a bur- it buried a live match. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they get better, and maybe I'm holding it to too high of a standard, because I think they're coming up to a run where their, their video packages get very, very good, as much as I cite them for their modern stuff. Let's not forget what we just watched, like, literally last month. I know it wasn't the opening package, but just think back to Hoovy's promo package. Mm, that was yeah, so and good. And compare though. it to this. You're right. This is garbage. Hoovy's is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like it's it's a cohesive team working together on this. I, on I don't this even show. know. I don't even know which one of these characters I'm supposed to be madly attracted to. They haven't even told me. That's ridiculous. You're right. They don't have the interns working on it and doing <laughs> no. the Foley work. <laughs> Fuck that fucking Foley work. We'll, we'll jump into our first match. As, as I said, I'm not going to go over the match as much as I do in our normal kind of breakdowns. We have the Headbangers, Mosh and Trasher, and Taka Mishinoku versus Kai and Tai. That's Funaki, Menza, Te- Teo, and uh, Dick Togo. So th- these have a kind of storied indie kind of build up the Kai and Tai come from Mishinoku Pro. They're named after actually a paramilitary force that helped uh, free Japan from feudal uh, era, which is really weird. Like They became a corporation, and then Kai and Tai is a play on that. And they traveled to America, where they did some cool stuff in ECW, and then also some stuff in WWE. 
they attack Taka kind of a couple times. The gimmick over their indies and into WWF is they think Taka has become too Americanized and they're attacking him for that. And unfortunately, as as funny as some of their stuff is, it is horribly, horribly racist at times. Obviously, kind of known for the PP choppy choppy Valvinus angle. That's actually soon after this, I think. Within uh, the next year, I'd say. Yeah, yeah within yeah. the next year. <laughs> Uh, eventually, a bunch of uh, a bunch of Kai and Tai, except Funaki, leave to go back to Japan, and we obviously get the very well known uh, Kai and Tai, which is Taka and Funaki, with uh, Pritchard doing the weird uh, voiceover for Kai and Tai that it became very famous mm, for. Okay. Oh, right, right. I was, I was yeah. like, how is Bruce no, Pritchard related to this? Like, yeah, apparently oh. he does the voices for them, the English voices. For ah, them. right, right. I get you. The indeed, uh, <laughs> the indeed, yeah. This is an interesting match because this is like uh, Taka, the last time we saw him was fighting for the light heavyweight title, if I remember right, at Stampede. Like, this is a while later and there's the light heavyweight division is pretty, you know, light on the ground. There isn't that many people competing for it. They kind of just keep the title on him perpetually because there's no one else. And he's stuck in these feuds where these big guys take his side to defend him. He was in the tag team battle royale they did on one of the Raws. I think Bradshaw was his partner at the time. For yeah. no real reason, him and Bradshaw. This is, this is Cowboy Bradshaw, by the yeah. way, for anybody unaware. Me, me and Gus talked about this for some reason. Taka and Bradshaw just are friends throughout his run. Bradshaw just defends him in the APA later against Triple H years later. I like as well. that kayfabe, nice. Yeah, <laughs> they just happen to be mates, I guess. And this match up also in contrast to the like, heavyweight division uh, or cruiserweight division WCW is not amazing. Like we've been really impressed with Ray and Hoovy and a bunch of the others and. This is kind of sloppy. What, what did you guys think of this match? I actually thought the match was not that bad. Like, it was fast-paced action. It was obviously thrown together at the last minute. And the headbangers, I'm still not sure what to think about them. I hated them as kids, as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Got Some impressions, just general impressions on this match? I'm, I'm on Connor's side here. I, I enjoyed this. This was quick, fun sprint. Get the crowd awake. Let them know the pay-per-view started. Get in, get out. Just fun kind of stuff with the guys. Silly little spots. I don't know why Kai and Tai... They talk a look good. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. Kai and Tai has jerking off as a salute, but here we are. <laughs> What's the attitude error? Don't ask questions I mean, like that. I got to have Jerry Lawler name drop Nine Inch Nails during a match. I missed that. What, what, <laughs> that was <laughs> weird. Yeah, he refers to Mosh and Thrasher listening to Heavy Metal. Oh, heavy metal right. Or whatever. Yes, okay. I remember that now, yeah. And Men's Tails wearing a... Uh, Iron Maiden shirt Iron Maiden. as well. Like, yeah, men, uh, <laughs> that was that was badass. That, yeah. that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I will say Taka having the headbanger gear under his uh, ceremonial robes was yeah, and his, yeah. Him doing like the little headbanger jig too. That was entertaining. That was. Inter- yeah. I, I will say I think the headbangers uh, annoyed me a bit as a kid as well, Connor. And I think I know why now as I'm older. Their normal couple spots at the start of the match are actually fine. They know how to do their couple scoop slams and they're running the ropes. When they're done with that, they have no idea what to do. And it's very obvious that the Japanese guys signal them to do stuff subtly, and they just stand there. I'm like, what? Do something, guys. Come on. Like, your tag team wrestler should, you know. So twice uh, the the heels do the, you know, oh, a jeer the faces so they'll come run in and have the referee stop them so they can do some cheaty stuff in the corner. The headbangers just didn't run in. They just stayed there <laughs> and kind of like, we'll just cheat anyway and hope the ref doesn't do anything about it. I thinking about it more as an adult. I, I think what it just, I, I, there's just nothing else to grab onto. So yeah, you're right. There was just, I, they, I needed that little extra. I needed that like cool 
finishing spot or like really cool signature spot from them or something or they're, some kind of cool catchphrase and they didn't yeah really have they're that. the most yeah. superficial tie like gimmick possible like you know exactly what it's about but there's no depth to it it doesn't go anywhere i, I remember one of them having a cool leg drop eventually the top rope leg drop and you thought that would develop into any something but it didn't yeah, the, the crowd pop for these. Like the crowd pop for the headbangers way more than they pop from some other stuff that I'll I'll note later. I, I also I forgot how long this gimmick lasts because everyone else on this card. If you have a quick look through this card, the the majority, not everyone, changes their gimmick to be better or completely different within the next two years. The headbangers just kind of stay this exact version of the headbangers until until they're not in the company anymore. Yeah, it's kind of like one year. I think one well, gets hurt or something like that. Yeah, and... when does your man switch to the? beaver gimmick yeah, it's it's a Has year not, it's oh was that uh, still to come i thought that's happened already yeah, no, oh, yeah. no 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 it's he, 99 he he does that gimmick and then goes back to the headbangers oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah one of them gets hurt so they they that's why he does uh, that stuff and trash yeah, trasher is the non let's, beaver let's not guy. talk about that <laughs> yeah i think a big reason why i like this match i i guess it kind of reminded me how much i miss like the lucha tag matches that we used to get you know yeah w like when WCW used to put on good shows <laughs> or used to feature tag team wrestling. Those are fun days. I, there has been some very trashy luchador matches in WCW, but I do think this is kind of strictly better than the uh, strictly, sorry, worse than a lot of the warm up slash, yeah. slash luchador matches we're seeing on the other side. And I think this is going to be a team in general going through this pay-per-view where I'm like, huh, the mid card's like a lot worse, I think. And this is, I guess the lower card seems a lot worse to me. I, I agree and disagree with you with, with your statement. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. That's fair. Like, and there are, like, it's hard to say in general because there are a lot of individuals. Like, half the half the guys Jericho beats, half the Luchadors Jericho beats are also jobbers, jabrones. You know. Yeah. If if I had to knock this match, it, it, they they basically said that this was just thrown together. So it doesn't. It definitely has that house house show dark match feel, yeah. but it still was effective though. It was nice and short. It wasn't offensive. And I also realized why I didn't like Taka that much as a kid. It's just his look. Like, I love everything else about him, but he's just like, he's so generic looking. Yeah. <laughs> I I will say I do love his, like, his finish is actually like a legendary move, I think. Great. Yeah, his moveset's great. And name's sweet, too. But yeah, it's just, I couldn't get over his, his ha- like, his haircut and, like, his little dago mustache as well as a kid <laughs> i hate to hate to bring that up as like why i didn't like a wrestler but like when you're in this era where when you have so much charisma and so like such like cool characters that like you just really do not stick out i don't know why steve blackman sticks out better than he does i wish yeah, we got to talk about his blackman but <laughs> the headbangers and taka go over here by the way in about six minutes taka winning with a, a mission oq driver in the end it would have been a better pairing though to have steve blackman with taka right it seems to connect better. <laughs> Book it. Yeah. <laughs> After this match, we get uh, one of the, I think, biggest stars of this era. Sable is out. She waves to the people and says hello. She says one word. She just says hello over the mic. And the crowd love her. They are red hot for Sable. Gus had to explain this to me before, but she has been kayfabe fired. Why, why did they fire in her last pay-per-view, uh, Gus? So at the last pay-per-view, she had a match versus Mark Merrow. And if she lost, she was fired. And she did because Mark Merrow pinned her. There's some shenanigans around it. I don't know the specifics really, but like Vince hires her back literally the next night and it's like it never happened. 
Meanwhile, Mark Mero has a new valet who we may remember. It's Jacqueline. Um, hmm, so yes. she's been on the Raws. You won't see her on the pay-per-view because they got screwed in a King of the Ring match. By Sable, actually. So good, some good continuity. Vince does run this, uh, you know, being the the evil here, or being the evil savior of a woman back in later kind of generations. But I think this is the first time we see it happen. Sable, as I said, absolutely red hot, and it's interesting because we don't have that in WCW at all. No women woman, in WCW. No, no women, and no Liz, women are pushed. That's it. <laughs> yeah, no, no women are pushed in this position where Sable is prominent. Like they put her in a super prominent storyline with Vince, who is the most the biggest heat magnet in the industry right at the moment yeah there's two prominent women on this show they're on the microphone talking a part of like big parts of the show too yeah and i i will say they they don't treat them well and historically sable and china have not been treated well by the wbf long term along with the next generation of stars that come up but they do recognize that there's worth and they are super over and i would say sable and china are over than the entire more over than nearly the entire mid card, maybe besides the rock at this stage. I, I'd give Hunter as well. Hunter is pretty over. <laughs> yeah, Hunter is also. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. DX, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, China's part of that. So that's kind of iffy. But it's still not a good look for sure. But it's still better than WCW. They're actively involved in the shows. Like Jacqueline is Mero's valet, but she's like legitimately gets involved and does different bits and pieces. She, and she's, she's kind of treated better. Yeah. Uh, she's like still treated better than how Glenn Gilberti did. Uh, mm. So, oh my god, I'd almost forgot. You guys want to point out uh, one of the creepy comments from the commentary team? Oh yeah, this one actually comes from Jr., which is which is weird. So I'll go through quickly what happens and we'll say what he sure, says. Sure, sure. Uh, so the crowd over and she uh, she then has to introduce Vince and the crowd rain her in booze. My God, that was a fast change of pace. Uh, Vince comes down. He is flanked by Patterson and Briscoe. No music either, which is really weird. Such a bummer. I'm yeah. so annoyed. I, well, he has I no kinda, music. I kind of like it better. I don't know. Uh, the music is so iconic, though. The music is great. <laughs> I, I agree, but it, it's a nice change of pace just to yeah, see yeah. the boss it, come down and just kind of pander fun to, to the crowd. S- yeah, it's kind of fun to see. Like He's still figuring out the character. Like There's no strut. There's no ridiculous walk from him yet. He has some of the facial work reactions to different things but he's not way over the top with them yet and i like to think too that like as a character in kayfabe that he's still still in the mindset of like no like the fans will get behind me i know it's best yeah. for kind of for the fans as well 100 so this is actually my favorite vince because this is a believable bad guy where he thinks he's right like he's really kind of humble about what he says but he's saying awful things well we'll get into the promo he cuts oh, he's but- not humble no <laughs> I disagree with that at all. But his, his body movements are like, this is normal. Like, this is just a fact. This is how it is. I'm the good guy. Why are you booing no, me? No, he doesn't. Kind of, I no, no. I completely disagree because of the promos he's cut this month. So, like, he comes out on the show and he gives out to Foley for failing, basically. He basically tells him, he's like, okay, you can get mad at me. You can get angry and you can hit me, but you got to make sure to remember that. I pay for your family, I pay for your pension, I pay for all this, blah, blah, blah. And then he follows up with a killer where he's like, why do you think I keep Steve around? I hate him. He's awful to me and he kicks my ass all the time and he does all this shit. But I keep him around because he makes me money. And that's not being humble about it at all. Like He's like, I do this because it makes me money and I know this is the shit. Like, <laughs> So he actually says that. Yeah, promo. yeah. And he essentially okay. says the same thing to Taker then in a later promo. 
and like he he basically comes across as I'm using you guys for the best stuff for me and I'll do whatever I want so long as it benefits me. I, it's I, really effective promo work. I actually really like, well, Vince is a really good promo at this stage, I think, in his career. But yeah, I, I, I really like that continuity because so many times uh, we've said in WCW, why don't they just fire the NWO? Or, or when Bischoff loses control, they used to explain that, well, Bischoff has control. But then when he loses control, I'm like, surely the w, uh, NWO are fucked here. And they're just going to kick them all out of the company if that was if this was like a real thing and they felt really in trouble. So I really liked his explanation. I, I do think you're right. I think humble is the wrong word. I meant more, uh, I guess, subdued, where later on he's this like yeah. a, almost a caricature. Where here, uh, we'll, we'll go actually through the promo. I guess it uh, makes my point a bit better. Uh, before the, his promo, though, uh, Sable is dismissed uh, and the Stooges help her uh, out of the ring. Patterson condescendingly pats her on the butt and she paintbrushes him oh my god she just wallops him right in the face uh and patterson is like flubbed and he flubs his line completely though patterson's english <laughs> isn't like i'd I never know if he's making a mistake in his promo or he's just speaking because his english isn't amazing he, even in later years when he did a bunch of promos for the network he always messed up stuff so maybe that's just how he thinks it's said and sable storms off jr says that patterson is getting involved in a territory he's not familiar with and for those of you that don't know, because it is now public knowledge later, Patterson was gay. And he was closetedly gay because it wasn't really safe to be gay in the wrestling industry. But Vince and a lot of people would have known by now at the end of his career, including JR, who just made a fragrant gay joke about Patterson on air. So kind of not not cool, JR, I would say. I, I, I'll take more... Uh umbrage with a different comment he made just before yeah. this where he says oh, uh I, I must have missed this uh about sable he says i, I have a, a lot oh, of yeah. buddies at oklahoma that would marry sable's dog just to be in her family oh and, and even king was just like what are you what? talking about yeah, king's like, what the fuck yeah i remember that king's like what he's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i don't i don't think the the patterson one is as bad because you can just read that as um patterson's not good with women right yeah. and right. he just wouldn't know what to do it, it's a bit. It's a lot more defensible, I think. <laughs> yeah, that no, that's absolutely fair. I forgot. So Jr. is played as this good character, but every now and again, he just comes out and says pretty mean things about people. And King's like, "What the fuck?" It was just it, very out of character because later on, he's very much of the uh, GX chef. Uh, we're what's with these young kids and the shop yeah. parts? And, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I sorry to do my terrible impersonation, but <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good JR. Uh, Vince refreshingly cuts a really good promo here, telling people in a very soft spoken and matter of fact tone that uh, if they're here to see Austin win, that they're going to be disappointed, but that their entire life has been a symphony of disappointment. So they're probably prepared for it. That they were a disappointment to their parents and their parents were probably disappointed to them. So they are probably very used to it, but just to give them a fair warning before it happens. Yeah, he, he, he likes to think that he's helping the crowd. He's trying to soften the blow for tonight, preparing them. Yeah, and I think a lot of Vince's character at the moment is that where there's the semblance of like, why are you booing me? I'm right. You know, <laughs> the kind of attitude to him. He's like, you are idiots. I'm just helping you kind of yeah. to his, his and, and uh, a moment you can tell we're in a weird moment of humanity vince goes how many who are here to see kane set on fire <laughs> everybody cheers <laughs> cheers like, yeah oh yep. oh man there's a tiny girl who can't be older than 12 there with her dad or brother or something holding up a sign that says 
burn baby burn tree 16 and she's screaming at the camera (laughs) now okay let's to be fair let's put some stuff in context so uh, another big moment of like what got me into wrestling is the uh kane and undertaker did have their inferno match inferno match yeah in like the previous month or whatever so People set on fire. It's not like just this random occurrence thing. It has been the consistent theme. So I, so, I will add that in. We, we, I've forgotten to add something important that happens in the Headbangers match. While they're coming out, JR and King, it cuts them and they just have gasoline. Like, Oh, that's what the very, that's like the very first shot of the, of the show. Yeah. Like when yeah, they, they cut to them at the start of the pay per view, there's gas, there's gas cans either side. Like, and, but like they're reinforcing it. This isn't just something Kane has said he'll do. Set himself on fire if he there's, loses. There's they a reason. Got gasoline I, there for him. There's a reason I sent you the Garth Marenghi gift. Like, yeah. <laughs> and even though it's kind of like stupid and we joke about it, but I think that is an effective tool. Again, this is something yeah. subtle that the WWF does well. Here's something visual. We don't have to constantly remind you about the NWO and Hogan. It's like here's a yeah. little visual. We'll have it in like some of our angles have it in the foreground while you can see the match type of thing so i I think it's actually really well done that that's absolutely fair it it is just funny to it's so hard when you're a kid it's so easy to fully envelop yourself in it but it's so hard as an adult at all to be like so you're gonna set him on fire or he's gonna set himself on fire you can't really let him do that oh you're going to you're gonna help him set himself on fire if he oh you're gonna put him gas over him and let him set okay Okay, he yeah. signed a contract. I guess Dave. that's gonna happen. I guess that's gonna <laughs> happen. Eagle. Yeah, I guess that, that that's how this match is gonna end with a man on fire. Yeah. <laughs> match number two of the night after Vince leaves the ring, uh, we got our first semi-final of King of the Ring because uh, it is hard to remember that's what's actually happening on this pay per view. Ken Shamrock versus oh my fucking god, I can't oh, escape man. from anywhere. Double J, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. We had just uh, it's not been too long since we've seen him in the WCW streets, but he's come back to WWF a couple months ago. Looking a little bit better. Yeah. This is actually a pretty passable match, to be honest, by both men. It's, it's not just his return. Let's oh not forget God. the other person. With, uh, with Tennessee Lee or Colonel Parker, as we knew him in the WCW, and he has not got any better. I'll tell you fucking that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the, I think the pairing of Jeff Jarrett and Colonel Parker is a little it, bit better than Harlem. It works well, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. A little bit better. Age better, surely. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't quite look like the Colonel either anymore. So No. Jeff Jarrett actually puts in a pretty good performance here. It's maybe speaking a bit uh, ill of the, his opponents in the last uh, company. Ken Shamrock is good, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shatter glass here for you. You're never gonna see Ken the same way, and I completely forgot this. His entire move set is Irish whips. I noticed that. Ah, uh, we know the, that. This, it's it's whips and kicks. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't I didn't notice that until this match in particular. When I think there was like a sequence where like it was like ten times in a row or something. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, he's obvious. Like he obviously has some training in wrestling, but it looks like he was quick shot through it because all he does is pick them up, Irish whip, kick, they're down, pick them up, Irish whip, another kick, they're down, and he does do it like ten times in a row. I'm gonna shatter your your glass, Dave, because he was trained as a professional wrestler long before he became an MMA wrestler. <laughs> Oh, no way. I thought he was yeah. panc- pancreas first, I guess. No, right? no. He he wrestled in the indie circuit in the late 90s, late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> oh, wow. So he might have done that before. I, I don't know his pancreas. He definitely did. But I mean, the important thing is you're forgetting the reason why he's using the whip so much. He's Irish. It's the Irish whip. <sighs> it's a signature move, guys. <laughs> it's not Irish. <laughs> no, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the surname, Dave. It's in the surname. <laughs> Yeah, he, he actually looks really good in this match, and I think Jeff makes him look really good. There's some like uh, shenanigans 
with uh with Colonel Parker, very typical Colonel Parker. Match. Yeah, what word was that? <laughs> like shenanigans. There we go. It's the plural of shenanigans. Shenanigans. Shenanigans and vagaries. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeff Jeff Jarrett is the exact same wrestler he was in uh, WCW, which is a bit disappointing. Same gear. Colonel so Parker getting involved, like the Four he, Horsemen did. I'll disagree a little bit. I think there's subtle differences. So the gimmick is exactly the same for sure, but the subtle differences, as in. You know, just little things like sunglasses and unique yeah. like lighting changes to his entrance and then his catchphrase ain't i great obviously it involves in something better than that but just little touches and also not putting him with the horsemen little touches like that can make mid carter just excel just a little bit more and stand out so i th- i think just it's much more digestible <laughs> for digestible jeff jared that's what i noticed was the glasses when he came out and i went oh that's the glasses he wears when he's once he changes his gear and he cuts his hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was that was my memory. I was like, oh, so he's kind of transitioning here. And that's right, because obviously we're about a year away from an awful, awful thing happening. And he's with Owen at that point and he's cut his hair and he's bringing the guitar around and he has Deborah. So he's starting that transition realistically around now. Yeah, even visual cues or, or things that he does in the ring. There's a lot less hot dogging. There's no pointing to the head. There's no laying on the turnbuckle. Like he doesn't need to do that stuff. So yeah. I think he's definitely amped up his character. Like the so he's definitely kind of embraced the attitude era for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely fair comments about him. Th- this match is nice and snappy as well. So both men get to hide some of their weaknesses. Uh, Ken finishes with a roll true kind of heel hook into an uh, ankle lock, which is something uh, Kurt Angle uses a lot later on in his career, and it, it looks pretty effective. It, it's interesting that a lot of the mid-carters in WCW are guys like um, Dean and Eddie and Jericho and these like wrestlers, wrestlers that, you know, go on to be all-time greats. And uh, WWF are, like they do now, leaning into UFC, right? They got both Shamrock and Dan Severn, legitimate UFC Hall of Famers. I think they just have like a really nice blend of mid-card guys mm. as well. They have much better characters. Better characters, and this is where Vince Russo comes in. Like, at least they have most of them have stories, and as I've mentioned before, like it's the entrance music. Like everybody has sweet yeah. entrance. I love Shamrock's yeah. entrance music. Yeah, I yeah, think it's Shamrock's such a badass. Sweet. Same thing. That's another thing. Dan Severin, <laughs> sweet guitar. Dan like, Severin's I, music is amazing. I was going to oh, get to that yeah. in the show. <laughs> so much but i mean if, if we're, if we're going to talk about differences between wwf and wcw like that's like one thing i can just you All latch on to yeah. right away it's like wow the music even, is so good even client eyes uh going mm-hmm. back a match is really good and they keep that for taka and funaki through their whole run it starts out with this really traditional japanese music into kind of an american rift it's just cool it's like there's no other word for it it's a very well put together piece of music yeah. for the wrestlers yeah, yeah. So Ken looks great here. He limps out and uh, tells Michael Cole he didn't come here to to be in second place. uh, Sorry, to be second best. Um, That limping has no effect on the rest of the matches. I was going to (laughs) say, he he sells it for maybe 20 seconds in the match. Then he, he gets to his comeback, completely ignores it, does everything until the match ends. And then he kind of remembers to do it afterwards. And then it's forgotten other than JR mentioning it, I think, in the final. After the match, a shot of outside the igloo in Pittsburgh, and it shows a giant inflatable taker. And this giant inflatable taker is very funny because I think it's also the mania. It's an old prop that they just never retire because it's um, 
black and purple Taker. It's old Hulk Hogan era Taker. But Taker has completely changed his motif. He's Ministry Taker now, basically. He no, no, he's not. No, not no, quite no, no. there yet. No. He hasn't even changed his theme yet. Well, his gear, his gear is dark Ministry Taker. It's the kind of like... Yeah, but he does not wear that on Raw, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, fair No, enough, no, no. When we get there, I'll explain. <laughs> okay, absolutely fair. But yeah, th- this is like, is strictly old, like bowler hat, like uh, funeral home Taker. But it comes up later. Like, I think it comes up a year later at Mania as well. So obviously it's it's just expensive and they're not going to retire it for something that's outside a building. So they keep using an old gimmick taker uh, thing con- constantly on pay-per-views. It's this very really weird kind of little thing. Also, I guess a year previous to this, they were selling office furniture because they thought they were going to go out of business. So maybe don't throw away the giant inflatable takers, you know. Yeah, it's weird things. It's just it takes time to update. I mean, if, yeah. even if you look at the, the intro for Raw, it's still the old one from like the from ninety seven. Still has Bret Hart in it. You can yeah. you can tell. Bret's so in we the background. Yeah, yeah. We have we haven't changed it to the iconic intro to Raw yet. That has to happen soon, though. Match, uh, uh, talk about iconic match number three. We got Dwayne the Rock Johnson, President Dwayne the Rock Johnson versus Dan Severn. Dan, uh, as beast. we've already give him his full title the, since he gave Rocky. <laughs> sorry, the Beast Dan Severn, legitimate Beast. Uh, okay, w- Vince once, McMahon here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yell, yelling in Dave here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just saw that. Yeah, I just saw that. The Beast Dan Severn, obviously given to Brock Lesnar lately. They love calling MMA fighters the Beast. Dan looks like a serial killer. Like he has his entire fucking career, no matter what he's done. And the Rock is in his uh, the leader of the nation. He's overthrown Farouk at this stage. Era very cocky, so get, young, so yeah. young, getting very over. I'm a big fan of the nation. He he initially comes out with a uh, Henry and Godfather, who is now starting to be called Godfather. I think this is the start of like that nickname. He's still like the fighter. He doesn't have like, but he does. I think say pimping ain't easy, but he says it aggressively. He it's he not, hasn't yet. Oh, that's soon. Because they know still introduced him as Kama, the fighting machine. Oh, on Raws. Uh, yeah, on the on the King of the Ring, because uh, he wrestles in King of the Ring. He's introduced as Kama, the fighting machine. Oh, they said Godfather on the pay per view. That's yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, it's like it's that recent. Like it's that recent. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things uh, we'll, we'll get to a couple later. There's a lot of things that are super like recent on this pay per view. A lot of stuff we know wrestlers for that developed from this pay per view onwards which is kind of weird but yeah they, they do the traditional they they kick them out like they've been doing all the raws and delo comes in for uh the first time with his uh with his chest protector because dan severin kayfabe ripped one of his pictorial muscles and he uses a weapon doing a frog splash on dan severin with the big old metal chest the protector. good old lowdown yep i think delo does an underrated fr- frog splash i think he does a i am a huge splash. delo fan yeah I don't uh, know yeah. if I've made that obvious. I love no, D'Lo, bro. I love D'Lo. Uh, especially this, uh, like, between this and when he becomes kind of a jobber later, this kind of era of D'Lo is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. I gotta give minus points to the commentary team for ruining the ending of the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they call out, where's D'Lo? And you're like, guys, come on. When D'Lo's <laughs> not on screen, gotta be asking. I actually love the angle that Dan Severn is so good at submissions that if you don't tap out, he will break a bone. And I don't think they do that enough. In, in WWE or in wrestling in general. If we're going to take shots at WCW, you know, it's always, always fun to do that. Um, the, the way they, <laughs> they intercut that, that replay just to get over the character. Here's what the yeah. stipulate, or this is like what we're getting into. This is the danger of Dan Severn possibly. And that plays out in the match, obviously. So I, I thought just perfect timing. It's not just 
WCW, eh, throw it to a recap. All right, let's waste some time here. There, there felt like a reason to interject, and it's just D'Lo screaming. We mentioned earlier that D'Lo Brown was injured at the hands of Dan the V7. Here's how it happened. And D'Lo said no, but watch Sever crank back on it right here. All right, there went his pectoral muscles. Listen to the pain and agony in his voice. Muscles ripped away from his ribcage. D'Lo does a great job of selling it. He's in a lot yeah. of pain when the submission is on. Dan pretends to pop his chest, and D'Lo screams at the top of his lungs to sell it. Dan looks like a murderer. D'Lo's done a great job. And yeah, you bring this... I'd love to see that more. It's the same as, like, if I put you in a chokehold, if you don't tap out, you're unconscious. There's no regaining consciousness. If I put you in an arm bar and you don't tap out, your arm is broken. It doesn't, like, you don't get stronger and break out of it. I know it's, it's breaking down wrestling a bit too much, but I'd love to see it every now and again a bit more. Uh, yeah, this this is a good look at the at the the ute of this company. Like they built this stable around the rock. They had Varuk carrying, and recently, though, you have to take this with a pinch of salt. People like Godfather have come out of the woodwork and said the nation was literally built to build up the rock. Like they decided this was like the vessel to get the rock over long term, and it's really interesting seeing him in his early days here. Uh, how do you think the rock compares to some of like the the stars you see in the mid card? Maybe people like DDP. Maybe he's not quite at DDP's level on the card yet. I, I can kind of see resemblance to DDP almost because I think the rock maybe at this point too is he's not the best at carrying guys. So the, I mean, this, this match is kind of awkward it's, Yes, because Dan Severin is kind of like your Goldberg in, in a sense. He's still very green and he doesn't excel with like longer matches. If you want to put him in that short match where he's, you know, ripping somebody apart in two minutes. Great. Yeah. But yeah, oh, let's have a 10 minute match. It doesn't look. Uh, Their their styles just don't gel at all because Rock can't do the ground stuff with him. Like he tries to do like a a couple things. They actually look look quite clumsy. They also don't work together. And I think someone pointed out in a review once Rock genuinely uh, jacks his knee a little bit. The bit where you very audibly hear him say, God damn it. It looks like he might have, like Dan might have actually gone a bit hard on a, a Boston Crab attempt and jacked his knee up. And then later on, Dan is not very good at the exchanges. He's not very good at the like, kind of comebacks and build-ups. So The Rock just does the same move a bunch of times, and it's not it's not a lot of fun, for sure. It's also the personality traits as well. Yeah. So Severin has no personality, and Rock is really good at feeding off making fun of people and their personalities. So Rock will try and make fun of them. It's like, eh, it doesn't really work. Yeah, what, yeah it, it, Rock needs people to care. He needs people to bite, right? So if Dan's entire uh, character is like, I don't really care what's happening. I'm just going to try to put you in submissions. And Rock's entire character is taunting people. That doesn't, that's not fun. <laughs> Again, it's just not a fun mashup, I think. Yeah, I, I guess DDP might be like an apt comparison to the, the Rock and the uh, trajectory they have at the moment and the really charismatic people that the crowd are connecting with. I think the Rock might be like well ahead of anyone I can think of the mid-card WCW, I guess the only comparison is Goldberg, but he's beyond the mid-card already, I think, in WCW at this stage. I'd say he's probably closer to more the guys like Eddie, Chris, that kind yeah. of level, but he is much further on as a character, and you can see like that they're not going to stop him is the difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he's to, he has the all-time gear already. Like He comes out for a brawl wearing khaki shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and and uh, boat shoes. It's just perfect. And he's, yeah, he has the eyebrow. He has some of the vernacular down. So it, it's, yeah. it's there. I noticed he says bitch a lot in, in the matches. Like he mouths the word bitch a lot. That's just him getting annoyed, I think, though. Because yeah, yeah. he's like, he clearly can't wrestle Dan the way he wants. Like in and out of kayfabe, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, it's just funny to see because obviously something like that wouldn't be that slip in modern wrestling. But he curses it off very audibly. Just in my, and he's a heel, so he's allowed to, right? But he just curses a lot audibly, and that adds to his character. He's like super disrespectful, rock, you know. Next segment is uh is cringy. As an ECW fan, it's cringy. It's a replay of Al Snow's reappearance in WWE after a little while gone, and it's awful. Jesus, it's horrible. He has the entire head gimmick that he had in ECW, except it's turned up to eleven. He shows replays of him trying to talk to Vince. He's technically not in the company that angle we're working at the moment and he's trying to get in and of course because it's an ECW guy Jerry the King Laura is involved because he loved putting the boots to ECW guys in every form while he was on Raw. Jerry has promised Al that he'd get a talk with Vince if he can beat too much in a tag team match. This is because like Al stole the King's crown because he got annoyed that the King let him wear him with a blindfold. They had a reference to his avatar gimmick by having Ma- uh, head wear the mask of Avatar, but no one remembers that he was in the company for about two seconds with that gimmick. So he's gonna. He also wore the the gear. Did just he wear minus the, gear the hel- well? Yeah, minus the hair, the helmet. The big thing which you haven't mentioned once: the music. What's going he's on not- with the music? <laughs> he doesn't have any music because he's not in no, the company. No, no, the segment. Mm. Did you not listen to the oh, music? I didn't notice. No, I was so te- fucking. Oh my god! It's by- like clown car music. It's it's oh ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> The timeline, I'm not sure on, just so you're aware, Dave, is I don't know how long this has been going on. I think it's been more than one pay-per-view because I never saw him get lost in the arena like Jerry does. You don't see him steal the crown on Raw. So it might have happened on Shotgun or Heat or something. I I don't know, whatever show is on. I don't know if Heat's a, a thing at this point. But anyway, it wasn't on Raw is the main thing. So... I don't know if it happened ages ago and they're just referencing it again or or what. It's the timeline's a bit screwy. I did see him dress up as the Japanese photographer. Oh no. <laughs> that was very so funny. So racist. It was so funny though because he's out there doing the job of the photographers and then during that match he takes a photo of the photographers and they all do like really wacky poses ringside. It's brilliant. <laughs> So it's he very, very the, funny. He puts the book T in though, right? Uh, he doesn't really have that. Not, he has pretty much other every other racist thing you can think of. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't see him dressed up as the uh, granny. I think that's earlier in the in the in the run and the Avatar one, which I got confused with Aldo Montoya for some reason in my oh, head. Yeah. And they even make a reference to it then <laughs> in the promo because they do look very similar. It's it's such so weird. It's so weird that they've directly taken this gimmick from ECW as well. Not, not I'm not going on about stealing, but usually like with Mick and people like Austin, they repackaged them from their ECW days, and their characters leak through because they push for them. But they just took Al's complete character from ECW. And like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just go. It's a bit like Raven and Stevie in ECW. Yeah, it's very unlike WCW. Vince to do this. Yeah, yeah, they're mm. just like, oh, that got over on the Indies. Yeah, let's just do it. That seems cool. At, at Al Snow's height when he's in ECW, they gave out those heads at the at the pay-per-views and the whole crowd were just like throwing these head about and, and hot for him. So it, it did work. And He's stage. on his way up here, Dave. This isn't like ECW was not his peak. Uh, the, is the job squad his peak? His peak is no. being a mixed autobiography. 
he's like going to be hardcore champion a bunch of times next year. Like that's his peak. He's going to be really over here. Like is the Valentine's massacre match. Maybe his peak against Bob. Maybe. That's pretty uh, that's, good. That's, that, that's definitely that's, a highlight for me. That's like not for another year. Like he's, he's on his I way don't know. up here. Head cheese is pretty good. And then head cheese <laughs> after that as well. I think you're way off. Like he's not a hit as close to his peak in ECW. Like he, and he is uh, over here. He's I, definitely I, over. I guess I guess peak is a is a super relative thing. Where peak, I mean, like this kind of serious, semi serious character, and here it's getting played for laughs. But like co- comedy can be a peak. That that is definitely a bias by me, hundred percent. The hardcore championship, I guess, isn't uh, comedy the entire time. Only when Crash Holly <laughs> ends up ends up getting it later. But yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. This is just presented very weird. I both love and hate King when he gets involved in these things because King's old school chicanery is just very funny at stages but then gets really drawn out and i hate it but then gets drawn out even longer and i love it again i I just i don't i never know where to kind of stand with him so at the start of this match there's an announcement of course king is ready to be in action he's a special guest referee he wears a single everywhere he goes he wears it under his everyday clothes (laughs) oh yeah yeah, i love it he's always prepared to get involved this match is interesting in that uh head is officially al snow's tag team partner so head is the hot tag of course Uh, where al just picks up head and starts bashing (laughs) too much with it throughout the entire match jerry's doing classic fucking 60s uh special guest refereeing checking the shoulders between every count and stuff. Having Pen- flashbacks to Nick Patrick here. Uh. Yeah, Nick Patrick <laughs> stuff. I'll get off the hair, even though he doesn't touch the hair. His fast count is lightning. Jerry hasn't lost a step. An actual fast count, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually do a fast count. Just pretends to look away sometimes. Though I don't know why he doesn't just DQ him when, you know, head. I do like that Jerry plays along with head. Legal ta- is a legal yeah. partner. Uh, the match ends when Al Snow gets the hot tag to head, head clears the ring, and then Brian Christopher gets a bottle of head and shoulders to put on head and pin him as Al Snow thinks he's won the match with the snow plow, but he is not, as JR puts it, the legal entity in this match. <laughs> so can't, not wrong. Can't, can't, <laughs> can't, can't, can't the pin. Al Snow loses, and JR is so mad about this match. The entire time, it's very funny. So mad, Bro. he brings it back up later on in the show and yeah. says that it set back the wrestling industry twenty years. Twenty years, it's, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. Uh, so the the bottle doesn't really work; it doesn't screw on properly. So they make sure the camera gets it in multiple shots, and and I'm just like, I get it, guys. I get the joke. Stop. And then going back down the stage, Brian Christopher's like, but it's head and shoulders, so we pin them. Like, we got it! We got what the joke was, Brian! <laughs> Go away! This is uh, so Russo. It's so Russo. T- too much <laughs> develop a lot in the next couple of years. Uh, they become uh, one of my favorite childhood tag teams of uh, Too Cool uh, with Scotty Too Hotty and uh, Brian Christopher. Scott Taylor's actually a fine wrestler, and so are Al. Brian Christopher is not. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Cool to see the this incarnation of them. I, I I don't remember seeing too many matches from them. It's it's cool to see like that. Like their shtick was like they had it there, but they just kind of utilized it differently. Like they were doing some dance moves here and there. So they they it's knew just a heel they version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like, they they're in the company for a very long time altogether. All uh, Scott Taylor especially is in the company for for a bunch of time because Brian Christopher obviously gets let go at different times because he wouldn't be a king's son if he didn't, you know, leave the company multiple times to come back. 
Interesting. I, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not a fan of how the Al Snow stuff is played. I'm trying to think, is there any of this kind of co- comedy in WCW? No. I think that's why we've, we're kind of bored with some of the shows. It's because it's just all matches and it's all just straight up stuff. Yeah, as, as much as I wasn't a big fan of this, this is funnier than I think the only comedy acts I can think of are Buff is played for comedy a little bit and Disco Inferno. Oh, I wouldn't say he's comedy. I think I some wouldn't of even his, say Buff is really. That's fair. No, that is fair. It, it is maybe just more like uh, annoying. It, it, it might be a laugh at kind of thing, but it's not intended to be comedy, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the only person intended to be comedy is like Disco. And I hate him. Like, I hate that comedy <laughs> so much. So, yeah, there's very little comedy in WCW. It's not. It, I don't know it's why. It's kind of really like, like yeah. Jericho's is probably the funniest thing. But it's is so that, serious. Yeah. Is it really intentional comedy? I, I'm not so sure. Well, he's a clown, but he gets, he still wins matches. He's still serious when he needs to be. I don't think there's any pure, the entire match is comedy and it doesn't matter too much. There's no alleviation like that. I don't know. I think the biggest miss for me with this is um and it's such a rare thing that they do <laughs> is uh it's the one man booth i don't know why they left jr by himself to to commentate uh, it's a real struggle especially jr hates it he just has no passion for calling it at <laughs> yeah, all he's just like mean, yeah he, he all, all he does is call out when king is like doing fast counts like ah oh, that was a count was a king <laughs> but i mean like they have michael cole like they could have brought michael cole out yeah, they bring wrestlers out for another match, which we'll go into. Like, that's, you know. Yeah, it was just weird. It was such a weird decision. Yeah. We'll, we'll move to a, a bit more of an iconic match. Match number four is X-Pac versus Own Heart. X-Pac out with China. Dream this is- match for me. Oh, <laughs> baby. <laughs> X-Pac has been, like, repackaged, right? So he was uh, six in WCW. He had a serious neck injury. As far as I was reading, he's only, like, recently in this timeline recovered from the injury. And become yeah. X-Pac. Yeah, this is only his second match back, I think. These guys are having a rivalry because during the King of the Ring tournament when X-Pac was against Triple H and uh, DX off, Own Heart kind of crotched him. They're having a rivalry with DX. And he crotched him so bad on the guardrail that there was a countout. <laughs> that, that I think Triple H won by countout, which is uh, a weird Yeah, so that, that's the aforementioned Rocky promo where he's like literally promoing him from a balcony in an arena. So Hunter is distracted while X-Pac is on the outside and gets attacked. And then by the time he turns around, it's too late. Yeah, and they're all they're all very concerned for X-Pac on, on the outside, which is funny again because it's a groin injury. And being concerned about groin injuries while serious is obviously very funny. And I'll have to bring it up now since we're, we're talking about uh, intro themes. The NWO has just one theme. It's nice that like each DX member's has their own theme, but they're all kind of like connected a little bit. Or if they come out as a group, there's they they play the Triple H theme or whatever. But but when Xbox comes out alone, he has his own theme. I kind of always like that. Uh, Even though a, the intro video gives me kind of a headache, it's I, I I miss the custom Titantron videos for each wrestler. The production is just a mile better than WCW's. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's nice to break it up, break up the show too. Certain yeah. wrestlers, yeah, they just come out. But you know, when Triple H comes out later, you cut to his like little video of the the sound waves going. It really grabs your attention. Yeah, I I really like this presentation a lot better than NWO six. I think I, I'm gonna get this uh, to this with New Age Outlaws, and uh, but I really like the X at this stage. I I actually don't like tri- Triple H at this stage. We'll talk about that. 
later. But Xbox and the new age outlaws are kind of perfect in this era and really have their finger to the pulse of what I think fans are, are, are liking about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the crowd sure loves to crotch chop every two seconds. It seems like <laughs> when you, uh, I do and I don't like them. I like their charisma. And I like the energy they bring to the show. Looking back at them, the the match quality is a little different. So we'll get to that. I, I think this match is good, though. But Owen, all-time great, obviously, doing a lot. And for a short match, they get a lot in. Uh, it ends with um, a big kind of run-in weirdness. There's a, what looks like a little bit of a botched move on the top rope. X-Pac falls to the outside. Owen stays on the inside. And Mark Henry runs out of nowhere. <laughs> and just splashes X-Pac on the floor. It's really unfortunate that Marks finishes the splash and not something else because he splashes a couple people on the floor as like run-ins out of nowhere. Just destroys X-Pac. Then China gets involved, trying to ward off uh, Mark and get in his face, which is very cool. Like China being, I, actually, we, we'll get onto this in a bit, but uh, China's like really cool as the enforcer. I remember that from the era, and I still like it now. China getting into Mark Henry's face is sweet. She has a good look. And Vader blasts Henry again. <laughs> you just don't see him coming. Takes out Henry, falls to the floor himself. They start brawling. They distract the referee. Owen has a sharpshooter on in the ring, and X-Pac is tapping, but China hits the DDT to keep Owen down for the three count when the ref notices X-Pac getting the cover. This is kind of a, a surreal match to watch the, these two guys go at it, but own own matches always feel a little surreal to me. Really good. I would have loved to see more out of them. I really enjoyed this. The speed, particularly at the beginning, and there was just a, a good bit more intensity. The guys knew they were like, okay, we've gone back and forth. We want to get on top of each other and actually like get at each other. Like it's not just a wrestling match. There's a bit of a grudge going on with it. I think you can see like, I don't know, like he seems a little bit differently. X-Pac, he's not quite so careless, but he's still high flying enough. Again, he's probably transitioning a little because of his neck injury. And then Owen is just a dream. Like he's just such a smooth wrestler, I think. And he's always just, you're always guaranteed like a minimum amount from him. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I I loved the mentioning of uh, staples being more manly to take than stitching. Apparently, that's a thing, I according mean, to Owen, the king. He, yeah, he got nailed in the head. <laughs> he he did. Uh, to be fair, Ooh, when they boy. show the replay, you're like, oh my god! <laughs> it's one of those uh, unfortunate accidents with the chair because it looks like X Pac goes straight for the back, and Owen's head just moves. So Owen catches the entire corner of the chair just at the bottom of his head. It's gross. And then this is also throughout the entire thing because i don't think they're on raw and if they are i never i can't remember them it's the first mention of the spanish announce table team on the show the so. unfortunate yeah, ill-fated spanish announce that will yeah. come into play yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah great great match very happy i got to see it because i completely forgot it was on this card and in general it would have been uh it would have been nicer to see more owen like he was he was before my time and the more and more i see stuff from like jesus this guy was eons ahead of his time in the ring i think oddly enough i was actually very let down with this match i don't think it was bad or anything i probably just hyped it up too much yeah mm. but it was probably just xbox had some ring rust and he was just still working through it i don't know so it was like something fell flat like the bronco buster still it was just awful i hate that move I hate yeah that it's move. well it's it's yeah it's not great in general especially now that he's a face as well he just doesn't have the whole package yet he uses the x factor as a transition move and there's a couple just 
awkward spots in the match. I, I thought this would just would have been like flawless and it wasn't, but there was still some really good stuff. Like X-Pac takes like a nasty bump into the timekeeper table. So definitely physical, definitely has some good moments. Yeah. All the interference, it was actually all of it was well-timed. Maybe it's just uh, looking back at the whole show. There's a lot of inf- interference on the show and there's a lot yes. of interference during the attitude era. So maybe it's just compounding uh, how much it just all runs together. I think I think the interference is a great point because I think a huge uh, commentary on the NWO era is we never got a clean finish. Come on, like this is getting boring. And even when the faces like finally prevailed the next pay per view, there's just more smart uh, like an, another big like run in, and this is never fun. And Hogan's super protected, but like that's all the endings in the Attitude Era. For some reason, it's I think put more on NWO. It's somehow it's more boring, probably because there was less stunners. But every Austin match is the same. Every Taker match is the same. Every DX match is the same. Everything to do with the the, uh, the nation is the same. It's all just run-ins. And it might be slightly weird, too, that China was the one that they put over in the match. Her DDT killed a man. Owned so yeah, the hell yeah. <laughs> Right, DDT. exactly. Yeah, X-Pac doesn't do like a move after that either. So it, that, that to me was just a little bit weird. But in, in the end, I was just like, eh, forgettable. But that, that, that's probably what this match should have been anyways. Yeah, I don't think there's a clean finish on raw no <laughs> that i can remember really yep. uh it, there's always an interference there's always dq or a distraction or no contest or something so yeah it's wcw probably are even less of an offender than wwf yeah. is it's just the packaging behind it yeah i think the way this the structure of the show it it's more like th- despite the fact that nwo is like a gang type stable DX and Nation have more of a gang mentality and it permeates the show much better. And it, and it is weird. DX are huge faces, but they still kind of cheat in this match. So yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, I wondered that later. I had a note on that. I'm like, are they face or not? Because they, everyone's like a tweener at this stage. The Rock getting booed, but sometimes insanely cheered. DX uh, do really mean things to faces, but also very over. Stone Cold literally just hates everyone. He hates everyone. But they love him. He just stones people and they love him. Kane and Taker. Taker is like a weird middle person that just tries to murder people. There's no faces on WWE at this stage, it feels like. Is Ken Shamrock the only face? No, like Austin's a face and Ken's a face and Taker is a face at the moment. He's definitely He definitely just gets cheered. We'll discuss how much of a, a face Taker is after the hell of Yeah, but I mean, his reactions <laughs> are like, he is a face. He's considered yeah, a face. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, it, it, yeah it's just super <laughs> non-traditional. It's like all anti-heroes. There's no like blue chipper. Kind <laughs> yeah, of. And, and that's something we mentioned like when we first do, do, like, did the podcast. And that it kind of took a little bit for some of that to permeate. Yeah. So n- now that it's kind of manifesting itself, it's like, oh, okay, this is like what we were talking about. After this match, we get a Paul Bearer promo, and it feels like almost from a different era. Paul Bearer, the king of melodrama, and he tells us that Kane's been watching TV all his life, that he couldn't go outside because the the sun hurt his scars. That's not science. That's not how scars work. That he couldn't ever do anything like a normal kid. He just wanted to be a wrestler. This is what I mean. This sounds like a face promo, but... He's going to go out world champion and be a wrestler like he's watched his big brother from the shadows his entire life, or he's going to burn himself alive. And then Paul Bearer, in a very, again, relatable moment, is like, then he will be the father of the world champion. And then it doesn't matter if you laugh at the fat man, because he will have brought up a world champion. Is Paul Bearer face now? I had the ex- <laughs> that exact same reaction to you. I was like, this is a very face. Pro- I mean, it's it's an excellent promo. Like, yeah, let's, so let's get that out of the way first. Like, when I talk about like world building before that, like this is exactly like what they do 
Like so, so good. I'll give you the quibble that makes it the heel promo. Yeah. Right. He talks about how Kane grew up and he had a terrible upbringing. Who's yeah. the person who did the upbringing? <laughs> <laughs> it's Paul Bearer, right? That's true. But he is mm. so locked in on his beliefs that he thinks he's doing the right thing, despite the fact that he's probably the one who deprived Kane. He can't see it. So that's why it's such a good promo. No one told Kane that's not how scars work. <laughs> well, whatever about that. That's that's whatever. But <laughs> yeah. you you can have sympathy in the situation for Kane because all he wanted to do was be his brother, but he was deprived and they make it seem like Taker is the one that never went to see him. When in reality it's Paul. Let's be honest. Yeah. Paul is the one who was doing no, all that shit. Not, it, it is it is perfect melodrama. It is really good world building as uh as Connor says. And for years I wondered how did Spook Brothers become the biggest thing in wrestling? How did the Spooky Boys it? And this story, if you take away all the fucking fire and the weird incest angles and, and and all this stuff, it still makes sense. If you're just like, I'm I'm someone that hasn't seen my brother. If I'm a normal person who's avoided my brother all my life and want his attention, this story plays out the same, right? Without masks and fire and, yeah. and talk boxes. It's relatable. Yeah, super relatable. And even Paul as a bad guy, like that final line is fantastic. Paul as a bad guy still wants, you know, he's not the joke you think he is. He is the father of the world champion. And, and you can't I, take that away from And he's out for money. I think that's a cool like touch of kayfabe mm. here is like yeah. if you're the manager of a wrestler, you want him to become champion because you might get more money. So th- I guess that's another small aspect of yeah. being a heel. He's he's being greedy and he's yeah. kind of writing just, 101 means you uh, always says you have to be able to re- relate with bad guys like any character but especially bad guys because a lot of times when we see this in the NWO their motivations make no sense and we'll get, we'll get to that with stuff like the finger poke of doom <laughs> down the line but like a lot of what they do makes no sense it's just to pop fans but everything Paul says here is relatable even if it is phantasm, uh, fantastic and like out of this world, if you boil it down, it's it's people with uh, family problems, right? Paul, also legendary, just uh, a great promo through his entire career. <laughs> I can't stop joking because I, I don't know. Connor, did you watch the Raw where Taker goes to his house? House, yes, I did. <laughs> Do you remember the line? I don't. <laughs> where he comes in to camera and he says to Paul, you think I forgot where you lived? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just wonderful (laughs) brilliant this is fantastic and it got got me hooked a little bit for the main event our second bonus match of the night according to commentary is our tag team champions new age outlaws versus the nwa tag team champions the midnight express with a jim Cornette, bodacious bart and bombastic bob and there couldn't be a bigger contrast between new age and old age kind of teams midnight express trying to like dredge up memories of old nwa glory and these like huge tag teams of the past and new age outlaws firmly in the future with a what is a very cool and over gimmick at this stage they're also out with china and the thing i always liked about china a little bit i'll make this comment here it's going to be a third match in a row out but she's like treated as as their bodyguard this isn't just like she's a bit muscly and she's for show she like helps them. She talks to them before match. They like pop backs. They like go, you know, go get them. She's treated like one of the like crew opposed to a lot of other people, uh, women from this uh, age, unfortunately, is just like sex objects or like on display. She is like the badass of this. No, group. she's the equal. Yeah. DX depend on her. Yeah. 
Yeah, like she, like uh, uh, with X Pac, we I forgot to mention this at the end of X Pac. My she's like carrying him out. She's like, "Are you okay?" And they're like, they're acting like friends opposed to a relationship, which I think is like really cool. And I kind of forgot that a, a lot about China because they do sexualize her a lot later in her run, but she is strictly, you know, I will break your teeth if you go near the X kind of subtle details. Again, that's yeah. the another big difference with WWF and WCW. This match is a little weird. I, I, I wanted to comment briefly on the New Age Outlaws because not long before this, it was like Billy Gunn and Road Dog completely stuck in ruts, right? It was the roadie and it was like Billy Gunn after, uh, what was his cowboy tag team called again with, with Bart? Were they just the guns? Smoking guns, I thought. Smoke, smoking guns, smoking guns. Yeah, the smoking guns. And he was still like a, a little bit of a cowboy. And without ditching the gimmick completely, there's still outlaws. There's still like, the roadie and they're still like a cowboy brought into new age almost like oh what's the movie with woody harrelson natural born killers yeah i think there's a bit of a natural born killers feel about the outlaws and they're kind of more up to date with pop culture and they're more in your face and even like the way they dress and the way they present themselves is slightly different but they were always doing kind of this stuff and they've gone from complete jabrones to doing nothing to like half a foot out of the company most of the time to one of the best WWF tag teams of all time. Do you really think that? <laughs> I, I, I honestly think their entire package is one of the best tag teams of all time. Because apart, yeah, they have their flaws. And can they wrestle a whole 20-minute match apart? Definitely not. But I think their entire package, I think uh, Road Dog not being able to wrestle that much but having charisma, fills in Billy's actually being a fine wrestler and not having much charisma but a fantastic look and a great hot tag. And they were booked really strong, and they were, and again, they were ahead of anyone else. They they changed their gimmick. I don't know how much input they had themselves, but when they knew stuff wasn't working, they mixed it up to be, again, like can we think of a tag team at this time? Besides, it's them and the Outsiders, I think, that are the cool kind of witted tag teams in, in like the industry at this point. No, I can't really think of anything. Yeah, and like I said on the previous episode, like the, these guys depend on each other. The act only works as a tag team. Yeah, yeah, it's hundred percent. It's, it's the current day end zone cast. Yeah. Even watching the old shtick again, like I haven't I haven't watched it in years. You can't help but still be entertained by it just because of how so good. Just the energy they put behind it and how much fun they're having with it. It's impossible not to like look what the guys are doing. I'd love to know uh, when Scott started doing the survey and when they started doing theirs, because they're very, very similar in like approach. And I wouldn't be shocked if they talked to each other about it. <laughs> I'm almost positive. Yeah. I'm pretty sure NWO. Started yeah, yeah. First. Like, I mean, whichever is first, but it's a very similar vibe to it. It's like, yeah, we'll get the crowd involved, get them chanting, cheering kind of thing. And yeah, it does. It works. I, I think they are literally that gimmick and they happen to be part of DX. They're very no- notorious as a tag team. I don't disagree on that. I don't think they're one of the best tag teams ever, though. No, not even close. That that's fair. Uh, there's like so many little things about it. Their names roll off your tongue, which I, I, is such a small thing for. Yeah, but the yeah, road like, dog Jesse James is such a good mix up of his name and the badass Billy Gunn just works. Yeah, this, so like the, well the branding and the presentation are like A plus. Perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah perfect. Uh, and I, I will say I've said this, and I've looked back at some of Billy's matches, and I think there's a lot of hate for Billy long term. And I'm not saying he can hold an Iron Man match, but Billy Gunn is a good wrestler. Him and Bart have nah, excellent nah, exchanges. Nah, yeah. nah, 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 nah. And let's not get ahead of ourselves now. <laughs> I think Billy Gunn's a good wrestler. I think him and Bart have really good face-off here. A little a little note about that. So him and Bart have had feuds when they broke up as the Smoking Guns, but they never got to have like a proper blow-off singles match on a pay-per-view. 
So I think this is a bit of a pent up that, that nice exchange they have in the middle of that match and that like forehead pushing is I think them going like this is what we wanted to do at one stage and we're kind of yeah in like current day that moment would have been sweeter because I think everybody would have known like the history but back then yeah. like nobody. No one knew. This, this was the new age outlaws taking out Cornette's jobbers. They barely managed to remember that the tag team even existed on commentary. So it's very difficult. <laughs> this is a typical outlaws match where, you know, Billy is the hot tag and gets some stuff off. Cornette gets involved and hits uh, hits Billy with a title. When he goes to the well again, China low blows Cornette. And I think it's really sweet. China like takes her time. And takes off her sunglasses and like tucks them into her cleavage yeah. and then low blows them. And in fairness to Cornette, sells it like he's been shot in the testicles. It's fantastic. Uh, they get the clean win. The one thing about the Outlaws that I don't like is they don't have a great signature finish. Yeah. They just always finish with some junk. Notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Usually they finish with a title shot to someone's head, but this was just like a double hot shot into the top rope. And it was like, ugh, I wish. I know most of the time they just finish with a fame, uh, fame master because that move was very over. Or, God forbid, uh, Road Dogs humping Pump Handle oh, Slam. Oh, Pump Handle Slam. I was trying to remember, I was like, what was his finisher? <laughs> yeah, he humped you. Yeah, he did the bumming, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird because I never got that as a kid. So, obviously, huge amount of homophobia about this part of wrestling, right? And everyone was called gay as a joke. Rock gets really bad for it a bit after this era. But then Road Dog insinuates that he's having sex with you while saying being gay is bad. It's a very mixed message Road Dog oh, gives out. <laughs> it's the proper toxic masculinity. Well, I'm not gay because I'm the one having sex with them, you know? Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's doing it to you, so it's not it's not yeah, it's not on him. Uh yeah, terrible finish is the one downside to the New Age Outlaws. They just never had a good double team finish, but yeah. They pick up the win here. Obviously, they're going to win because the NWA titles weren't on the line for some reason, but the WBF ones were. So it's they just to get the outlaws on the card, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's the loosest of uh, reasons because the number one contenders are in the two main events. Uh, so, uh, because two weeks ago, Mankind and and Kane went over the entire tag team roster just to hammer it home. Who are the important wrestlers? I I saw that. <laughs> And I looked over, when you told me about this, uh, Gus, I, I looked over the, the card. I'm like, oh, maybe there's no good tag team. There's plenty of decent tag teams. Yeah, LOD, yeah. DOA. LOD are in it. Headbangers. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's tons. Yeah. They're, it's really odd. But thankfully, this this is the last exper- like last time of the experiment of the NWA Midnight Express crap. You know, the d- WWF is not firing on all cylinders, especially... We're just a few weeks away. This is when Brawl for All starts. And this is when... Oh, that's what oh, I was trying to do. I was no. like, how close to Brawl for All is this? Okay. Right, Very right, close. Right. We're just, just a few weeks away. All right, Jesus, right, right, right. So Dr. Doctor Debt isn't in the company yet? No. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think he's been no. introduced. But but you know, these two guys, uh, Bart Gunn and Bob Holly, Bob. they have a match together. So this tag yeah. team is done after this. Which is always... Um, yeah, good job, Vince Russo. <laughs> great. <laughs> great so job. What, what's interesting about this, we'll bring it a little bit back to WCW. As we've complained, the tag team division means nothing in WCW, and it certainly doesn't. And the match that Gus just talked about, the battle, uh, the battle royale, means that it doesn't as Royal much Rumble. here. Let's get it right. It's a Royal Rumble. Apologies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the New Age Outlaws are so good and so over that them they're a bit like the Outsiders having the titles all the time. It doesn't completely devalue the tag team division because the only people that beat the Outlaws are super teams. So, like when I think Kane and Mankind win it off them soon. I think think so yeah that sounds right 
as, as you can see, they never get taken off them by a normal tag team. So while they definitely don't care about the tag team division as a whole, the Outlaws make the titles feel big a bunch because they're unbeatable for, for a huge amount of their career. The the key difference between them and the Outsiders, because they do a similar thing, is that they actually wrestle as a tag team a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, interesting look into the tag team division here. A match that f- feels important, I guess, if you're in the era, but feels completely superfluous now. The final of the King of the Ring is uh, our seventh match of the night, Ken Shamrock versus Rocky Maivia. Yeah, th- this match is kind of weird because it feels like they're very behind Rock, but the win is given to Ken here. So they must have really liked what Ken was doing, and he is an interesting character that the crowd scene behind. But this is this feels like giving Goldberg a loss, you know what I mean? But maybe that's just with rose-tinted glasses looking back. What do you guys think of this? I think it's just since they had a whole big feud with these two guys, Yeah, Ken never got the legit win. They just had to give it to him to yeah. complete the storyline. I, I was going to say, Rock doesn't need to win. Whereas if they give the win to Ken, it means more to him and makes him more legitimate. Uh, not notably, this match has Triple H out for commentary. Oh, tri- it's Triple the H- worst thing <laughs> in the match. It's so yep. bad. Triple oh. H has had beef with Boatman, especially Rock, who's cost him the, the King of the Ring qualifier match. We may as well have had China listen to China's commentary. I'm sure it would have been more insightful and interesting. Talking China up again, because China is fucking great. I forgot she's fluent in Spanish and she just goes over to the Spanish yeah. commentary table and starts jawing with them. Like that woman does everything. My God, her contract better have been big and fat. She carried some of these shows, man. The Triple H's commentary is so bad. I can't believe he ever got a push after this. Well, I mean, of course you're forgetting. We're bearing the lead a little bit here. So China finishes her Spanish commentary that they, they listen to and they go back to Hunter or J.R.R. King, it doesn't really matter. Ask oh it's Jay, it's what, what did China say? He goes, I don't know, something about Taco Bell? <laughs> I hear like, hammer oh home. my God, it's so bad. And then it's followed up with an even worse joke about uh, bilingualism. And well, I mean, the audience, you can probably fill in exactly the kind of joke Hunter made with the word I'm going to splice it in. Alguien puede entrar de DX. What does what she, uh, she say? Something about Taco Bell. I don't know. They want to go to Taco Bell or something. They run, want a run, burrito supreme. Run for the border. You're not run. bilingual? Huh? You're not bilingual? There's a lot of bi things I am, but lingual is not one of them. Hey, wait a minute. Did I just mean to say that? I don't think you did, but be that as it may, we're live. And uh... Clearly it's on purpose. Clearly it's for the gimmick. And they're being told to push the boat or whatever. But it's just... Not funny. It, what, it, I don't think it was funny then, which is the important thing. Like, whatever about now, it's clearly way across yeah, the line Yeah, him for going, me. like, he, he was testing his mic at one point. He'd go and test these one, two, three. <laughs> that I can see. I'm like, okay, I'm sure me in, like, sixth grade. Ha, 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 ha. Hilarious. Yeah. This, this was, like, the weird, especially just because, you know, son-in-law of Vince McMahon. Yeah. This is, <laughs> how have they not scrubbed this one out? <laughs> so this one is very, well, one, how is Triple H not cancelled nowadays? I'm going to put that out there. The racist shit he says there is so weird and so racist, as Gus said, even for the time. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess Mexicans are just into Taco Bell. Cool. Wonder you. Aren't you, isn't he dating China at this stage as well? De- yeah, definitely sure. Been, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's it. Make fun of our heritage. That's cool. The other thing he does here, which really gets me wrong, because Hunter goes on about this a couple times in his career to get to get to grandstand a bit on him here. 
he always goes on about two things. Like the business is tough. We work with injuries here. It's all decided in the ring. It's certainly not decided by who you marry <laughs> at what stage in your yeah. career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just funny because it's exactly what happened to him subsequently, but I don't think it's planned that one. That's just a, like a Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, really, it really is. But the other thing is that they're really into it, and we'll talk about it into the final two matches especially. They're very into, you got to work through injuries. And Hunter basically says that twice in this match. He's like, we're not assholes that basically stop when we're injured. And I, I don't know if that's taking a shot at some WCW guys, because I know a bunch of them get injured in this time. But it's so shitty and toxic. And we'll talk about why in the, in the co-main events. But he did take a shot at WCW, which is what well, it's WCW is not the only one that's taking shots. He, this isn't old men stumbling around the ring. Yeah, so yeah. It, I'll give him credit for he at least sticks to the match. Otherwise, where he's like, he puts over both guys. He doesn't put them down. He's like, these guys are legit as much as I hate to admit it kind of thing. He's like, these two deserve where they are. And they they're good wrestlers or whatever. He flip-flops a lot, which is very funny. It's like really old school where he's like, these guys are tough as nails because everyone in WWE is. But isn't it funnier that they're a lot less tough than me? I'm like, okay, Hunter. <laughs> okay. That's fine. He's Yeah, no, it is fine. It is fine. It was a ballsy move to put him on there on pay-per-view. They, I, they wind him out there, though. I, th- I think he's still injured. I think that's why he's doing this. The, the bisexual joke is also very funny because JR just completely deadpans. Like, he's like, oh, did I say that? And JR is like, yeah, and we're live. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. I think the worst part about it is that this match is genuinely quite good, I think. Yes, yes. And, it is. And does a really, really good job of putting both of them over by the end of it. Lot, lots of close two counts. Rock going for float over DDTs multiple times and getting punished on his third one. He loved the float over DDT at the stage in his career. He does it yeah, all. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. Like a Dean Ambrose springboard clothesline. Oh my God, the wacky line. Fuck the wacky <laughs> line. Uh, yeah, both men look really strong here. The Rock finally gets really f- uh, frustrated that there's a multiple two counts in a row and he doesn't put it away. And it gives uh, Ken enough time to lock on the ankle lock from the from the ground and uh, gets a clean win middle of the middle of the ring. JR puts him over hard. Mm. And yeah. I guess that was one thing I did chuckle at. Uh, Triple H said, you're going to say this name like four more times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, Shamrock, Shamrock, Shamrock. And the other thing about it is Rock puts him over hard because he wastes no time tapping. Uh, yeah, he yeah. instantly goes, this is devastating. I don't want this. Maybe it's falling out of fashion because we talked about D'Lo selling like hell for Dan Severn, but Rock looks like he's about to pop his ankle. Rock is like screaming and tugging at the ref and I'm, I'm kind of sick of tough guy, good guys that like grit their teeth and bear through it. It hurts. Have you been put in an ankle lock? Like when you were a kid, did someone ever put you in an ankle lock? It's just it the style. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was one thing that did bother me about Kurt Angle. Like the ankle lock never finished the match. The style had just totally changed. They'd moved yeah. over to I, the I, finisher I thing. Yeah. 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 It, and it, it's, it's a little bit of a shame. And I like, uh, I forgot it was this early because uh, Angle brings it in later to win some matches really late where he grapevines the leg. So they can't just like, if you stand up with the ankle lock, they're just going to kick you. It doesn't really make much sense. But so I like that Ken just grapevines the leg straight away like you would in a real fight. And it's like that kind of MMA background being brought in to actually look really good in wrestling and be effective and, and make a lot of sense. I don't recall them doing anything with this King of the Ring, though. Is that just me? Like, they don't really do much with Shamrock. I mean, nothing more needs to be said than he gets no crown or there's no chair. There's no... He doesn't sit down. Yeah, yeah, nothing. It's all just forgotten about immediately. 
Yeah, he's basically just mid-card guy. JR's talked about in podcasts. They just don't really trust Ken to be a top guy. I think they tried in the December pay-per-view to, with a title match with him. So they, they were trying to see if he was going to excel in that experiment as a top guy. But they know he's just he's he's a good mid-card guy to have. He's the guy in the corporation as the IC champion. So yep. I, I, and I think that's the perfect role for him. So I, I think he's doing quite well here. I'm, 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 you're absolutely right. I think he's actually quite good in the corporation. I'll give him that. I think they, they probably have reason not to trust him. He is limited, even though the stuff he does is quite nice. He's limited, and uh, he can't really cut a promo. But uh, I was surprised with this match. You know, they both wrestled a match before this, so they were obviously a little gassed. But even, even, even with all that, they had a really nice match. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really like this. Uh, I've kind of forgotten this was a decent car uh, match on this card. We are on to some very big talking points here because we are on to our co-main event or retroactive co-main event anyway. It's no, they, Undert- they do treat it like a main event, I, I, yeah. to be fair. It is The Undertaker versus Mankind in a Hell in a Cell match. I guess technically the third Hell in a Cell match ever, if you want to count that like no-show kind of Yeah, I guess I, I probably wouldn't call it. That, that's, yeah. that doesn't count. Doesn't yeah, count. So second Hell in a Cell match ever. First one, uh, Sean versus Taker in an absolute classic. And this match, I'm not going to really talk about it at all. What happens in it? Everybody listening, you know the spots. You know the match. Yeah, You, you, you know the match. We're going to talk about some details and what people think. You've probably read the autobiography. You've probably seen the 100 Things. Mick Foley still does one-man shows where he talks about new aspects of this. He talked about Terry Funk being chokeslammed out of his shoes, which I never noticed as a detail when Terry, Terry Funk gets chokeslammed and how he didn't know whose shoes they were because he forgot Terry came to the ring. So he halfway through the match when he's doing spots, he's just like, whose shoes are they? <laughs> just in the middle of the ring because he had forgotten Terry had coming down. That's right by his head too. So it's just like, what? yeah, yeah. yeah he he just kind of comes to. He's like, whose shoes are they? <laughs> but yeah, this match has been talked to that, and I I kind of want to get more of your feeling about it. I I don't even want to compare this to something in WCW because, quite frankly, what what could we compare it to? There is nothing. So to bring up the Taker bit that you were wondering about on Raw, Taker is genuinely comes to the ring in two out of the four weeks in sweatpants. <laughs> All black <Sorry>. sweatpants <laughs> and a headband. <laughs> and then in another show, he is dressed like a biker. Like he, if you told, if I showed you it without context, I'd say a lot of people would be, oh, American that's biker badass. taker. He's American yeah. badass in the point. And you're like, no, actually he's, that's 1997. That's before Ministry of Darkness or 98 even. Uh, so yeah, he's he's kind of this weird blurred line now because he cuts one promo on the first raw which is a worked shoot is a very good example of it because he basically goes vince hired me to be like his bodyguard and to protect him from all the different things and i always went out and i did what i was told and so when he asked me to go beat the monster i went and did that and he's like well it's been long enough i've beaten all the monsters now it should be my turn i've nothing against steve austin but i want the title and that's the start of this, the reason he's wrestling Mankind is because Mankind interferes in a number one contender match between Undertaker and Kane, of course. So this is how you get the match. They don't really explain very well why it's in Hell in a Cell. To yeah, be why honest. it escalates. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say if there's one glaring weakness in this whole thing, is it's just kind of the story. Yeah. They don't really explain why it's Hell in a Cell. Mick makes a, an attempt at it by cutting a promo about how it's his home or something like that and how he's going to cause loads of pain. He's some good analogies, though. He's like, oh, I was looking forward to 
meeting up with you on old battlefields in the future and he references the basement from cleveland i think it is <laughs> where they had the boiler room brawl mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. he's like oh i was looking forward to that but because of what you did to paul i can't anymore i have to destroy you kind of thing and i have to take you out that's really the bit the build-up to it this is probably like one of the most notorious things in wrestling ever and it has basically nothing to do with wrestling to be perfectly honest it, the actual match itself is atrocious. The match quality is even worse than I remember because I always knew it was bad. Don't get me wrong. The actual bit of wrestling they do isn't great. What, one, one funny note is a fact people love to throw out is that uh, Taker has a broken foot during this match. He, has, he had bone splinters in his foot. And they're like, it's not that noticeable. It's incredibly noticeable. Yeah. He is hobbling down to the ring. Yeah. There's no way Undertaker should be fighting. It's as if Mick went, Taker can't take a bump, so I'll take enough bumps for both of us. No, for 6,000 men in one match, I'll take enough bumps <laughs> oh, for man. some reason. Mick got like two chair shots in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they were soft. <laughs> yeah. like they well, were like, oh, okay, and, and actually Mick had that, that really nice pile driver. I do not remember that one. Oh, yeah, actually. it's a sick pile driver for yeah. considering his condition and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mick does hit a nice pile driver. Yeah, he, he takes like, Taker takes almost zero bumps in the match. And he shouldn't. He has a broken foot. They should have given him a very nice, easy match. I will point out that I don't think it was Taker's idea to go on top of the the cage because you can see him walk out and go, "Fuck's sake, Mick! Like you know, yeah. my foot is broken. Like what do you what, what do you want from me?" <laughs> I, I do love so many of the stories behind this. So we're, we're, I'm going to recall a couple. It was Terry Funk's idea to get on top of the cage, apparently. So they watch uh, Mick and Terry are watching the first uh, Hell in a Sound. Like, how can I top this? These guys are so good. Terry's like. Start on top of the ring. That's when the crowd got hottest. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. And Terry's like, have him throw you off. And Mick's like, yeah, we'll do that. And he's like, no, no, that was that was a joke. He's like, no, 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 no. He'll throw me off the ring. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So that, that was that was Terry's idea. It, it is so weird that it happens in a throwaway match and it changes the course of, like, obviously, Raw was already getting on top in the ratings and there's a lot of factors for that. We're going to talk about Stone Cold in a while. But, this is so insane. How could you be watching wrestling and not be enamored by what happened here? And it's in such a throwaway feud. And it's just so unnecessary because like the gimmick itself would have drawn a bunch of people in because the first one got a five-star match. Also talking about the complete neglect that they show here by letting Mick get up at all. And they're like, oh, it's his decision. It's it's, it's not. He almost died. <laughs> How can you let that be his decision? But I, there's so many memorable points as well because of this, because of the negligence to so many memorable points that I don't think I'm ever going to forget that are almost accidental because he's just so hurt that he's not acting. He's just like, when he gets no. up and like pulls away from the refs, that's him delirious and concussed. Mm. He can't even pick up the, the, the stairs either. It just... No, he yeah. he, he drops it in the end. It's it's awful. Like It's gross. And, but it's a great moment in the match. You couldn't act better. The bit where you see the, the toot in his nose and he's pushing out. It looks like he's smiling, but he said multiple times that there was like just a gash under his beard. He could stick his tongue out of his lip. And that's just what he's doing. And it looks like he's smiling. I don't know why he has to go into thumbtacks twice. Like at the first one. He genuinely might have forgotten. Like yeah. I wouldn't rule it out here, or he didn't think he got it enough, and he's like, "Sadly, it's it probably like the safest bump." On the match. Yeah. <laughs> well, after after the match, apparently he said to Taker, "He's like, Mark, Mark." He's like, "What did we do to tax?" And Terry's like, "Mick, look at your arm," and it's just covered in thumbtacks. He's like, "Oh, good, good." Yeah, <laughs> like, go. like he probably he probably thought he didn't do it the first time. Then, 
yeah there's so many there's so much to talk uh to talk about and and that what what's your first memory because you said you watched this live yeah it's just being what the fuck uh (laughs) and just kind of being shocked by the whole thing because there hadn't been anything like that in wwf wrestling anyway easily for decades i i don't know if there's a comparable thing from like 80s or even 70s that I'm sure like a cage match or something might be equivalent, like just like with Mick, Jimmy yeah, Snooker coming the, off the exactly cage. Exactly what I was thinking about, yes. Like that's probably an equivalent thing. So it's just, how do you, you can't compare it to anything and you're just like, how did that happen? And how is that guy still standing? Uh, why is this continuing? So yeah. like a little part of your brain is like, oh, so it was planned and he must be okay if they're still wrestling. The choke slam is interesting in that when you say planned, because there's conflicting reports about that, and we're never, we'll never know the full truth because there's probably lawsuits if there's a full truth. But the cage is held up with zip ties, so the noises you hear during the match is them being idiots. Because of course, zip ties can't hold two three hundred pound men, yeah, from falling through. So you, you just you hear can them see ping. that it's it's not great because when they start on top, they nearly fall through the two of them. Yeah. So apparently, this is because the choke slam Mick was supposed to fall through according to Mick, but slowly. So when he hit. They thought the zip ties would give and the cage would sag and he'd just like fall through it. No, 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 that's not what happens. But that's not how physics works either. If that was their plan from the get-go, Mick weighs a lot. Him hitting it, why wouldn't all of them give out straight away exactly like they did? Yeah, this is a very, very infamous moment that we'll just never know the truth of. I think the truth is, to put my tinfoil hat on, he was supposed to fall through in some manner, but looking back at it, they're like, fuck me, that isn't safe. How we set that up was stupid. And if people find out, we could lose licenses. So let's say that was not meant to happen. I want to know who that doctor is that let him go back. I don't, I don't, I don't. Whoever was among that group of people that was stupid enough to go, yeah, sure, Mick. I understand Funk going, yeah, carry on. Because he's a lunatic as well. Like he's also a lunatic. But the other guys, no, can't deal with it. I mean, the other disgusting part about it is, listen, it got him over and it got it as legendary and whatever. So when you watch this live, the first time he gets thrown, you don't see the full thing because the camera is so surprised that he's gone off the top that you don't see him hit the floor or hit the table and onto the floor. But this is, again, this is probably why I harp on about WCW and their terrible production crew. So they missed the very, very start of it. But my God, you better believe they had four angles within about 20 seconds showing exactly how he fell, where he fell. Not only that... They are shot like beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly. And they repeat it relentlessly. Now I know they're also stalling for time. So there's yeah, partly that's the reason, but they do not stop showing you what happens to Mick. They go over and over and over of fall- watching a man fall 30 feet or whatever height the cage is onto that table. Like, and to be fair to Mick, Mick nails this. Yes. Like he's so the, the, close to killing himself. The bump is actually flawless. And it has to be because a centimeter either way, and he's probably bouncing off the barricade because he bounces a bit to the right, left, and he's probably hitting his shoulder slash head on the TVs. So any any way of any other direction, if he doesn't rotate, if he rotates too soon, he probably over rotates and lands on his head. Like he actually bumps for this immaculately, which is very funny. The same cannot be said for the choke slam where Mick said that was way more painful in his book because he rotates in the air and he kind of lands on his shoulder on the way down. 
He says that probably saved him because if he bumped traditionally, he would have taken too much in the back. It could have broken his back. When he bumps, it hurts infinitely. And then the chair falls on his head and yeah. smashes his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Something I noticed for the first time, too, going back in this match, that there were actually more Undertaker chants throughout the match. Yeah. It, it, it took yeah. Mick getting off the stretcher at the end to finally get Foley chants. And obviously, Foley isn't like not well known. So, but just, just the, again, bloodthirsty fans, mm-hmm. they just want to suck it and they, it's hard to react to. I don't know how watch. Taker stays in character all that time. Mm-hmm. You can see glimpses when he first throws him off. Taker looks down at some of the like crew and then looks at Mick and Mick doesn't move for like two minutes. And I genuinely think Taker thinks he's killed someone. He's obviously never said it in an interview. He like he jokes about it or whatever, but you can see the first camera shot because they, t- they take it off him really fast. Is Taker going, uh, guys, what do I do? And the same when he puts him through the cage. For the first two seconds, he throws his hair back and he just looks at Mick and he goes, oh, no, I got away with the first one, but maybe I've done it this time. He might be dead this time. There, yeah, there's so many weird moments. Like there's there's all the confusion where they raise the cage, obviously, so they can stretch her out, but they don't like let Taker get down. So oh, he's, he's down. Just, yeah, forgot he's about just that standing one really, really high up for ages, wondering. And then he finally gets back down, only for Mick to come back, and then they have to go back up on top of the cage. It's oh, it's just it's. But that that oh. moment, you just get goosebumps, like just yeah. witnessing something like that. And mm. if I had to point out like one overwhelmingly positive thing about the matches it's the commentary so we shit on the commentary in the previous matches like it's top notch like it's perfect because like king puts away his his shtick like his line when he goes through the the cage it's like that's it he's dead like it gets me every time yeah it's 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 really well done as much as i'd never condone anything like this and one of my notes is everyone involved in this match should have been fired and never been brought near wrestling again It, it, it is incredible to see him go through it it's such a changing point in wrestling history because I, I, I've given out that they've taken a bunch from ECW and like they're taking a bunch from this and they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants with their characters because they still don't know. We still, as, as we've joked, they still introduce corny characters after this. They still haven't quite got the beat of the Attitude Era down perfectly. This is uniquely WWE. There's nothing like it in the wrestling world. This is something that they didn't acquire. They acquired Hulk Hogan. They acquired Andre. They acquired a bunch of the Attitude ECW stuff. But Mick has made a quintessential WWF moment that no one has ever come close to. And even they haven't. They've tried to replicate it a million times and haven't. It almost took the murder of a man. But Yeah, and for people who haven't watched this match, if by somehow you haven't watched this match and you're listening to us now, everything we've just described happens in the first Five minutes of the match. <laughs> yeah. That goes on he goes off the cage in almost less than one minute. Yeah. That goes for another 10 minutes, give or take. So they have a like, they attempt a wrestling match after those two spots. And it's just, it's lunacy that there um, a man is still standing after he's done those two bumps and that he's even capable of doing a, a wrestling match at that point. I think it also, I've never seen, I think, a moment that's made two characters more. Because I'm not saying that it, Undertaker wasn't over or great. But a lot of his threats were cartoonish before this. I will put you in a grave. I will burn you alive. Fans deep down knew that he can't do that. And like, there's that uh, thing. Uh, what was that tag team? The Blondes. You can take a skateboard to the ring a hundred times. If you don't skate it once, the fans know you can't. Jeff Jarrett, if you don't play that guitar eventually, I know you can't. Taker looked like he tried to murder someone. Taker looked like he hated mankind so much. He tried to stop him from existing. 
And I think that aura carried through to his ministry stuff and he's making all these like cartoonish, I'm going to like sacrifice you in a dungeon threat strike. Well, he might because he almost did once, you know? It was kind of an incidental double turn almost in in a way. It did. And now this doesn't naturally happen. It kind of organically happens over the next like six months. A a small note. I'll I'll just make this side note. You're talking about change of characters. This is the first time Mick wears his uh, tattered clothes and tie to the ring. He wrestles Billy right before the pay-per-view, and I can't remember if he was in brown or white, but it's one of the first times anyway. Yeah, it is also notable that he wrestles basically the entire match without his mask <laughs> as well. So the, the, Oh, yeah. It definitely That's has the humanity that you can see his face. This is accidentally super important because they obviously just take it off because they think he's dead, but it makes him Mick. It, ma- it doesn't make a mankind this cartoon anymore from this bygone era of WWE. It makes him so much more relatable. And while he keeps the mask for a while after this, he starts to get known more as Mick. They lean more into like the uh, what Mama Foley's baby boy kind of stuff. He has the mask for most of the rest of his run, Dave. Oh, he does. But I think th- he isn't identified by that anymore. He isn't oh, like sure, the character yeah, yeah. of the mask. Well. This is him becoming like Mick Foley that has personalities he can change between for fun. But everyone kind of gets known for the character behind it. And and it, yeah, it's funny, like, again, complete accident. He just takes off the mask because they think the mask is over and it's uncomfortable. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that if this match doesn't happen, he's never WWF champion. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Because he's the one that's kind of falling out of the, the, the big picture here. And that's probably why he wants to do this. Because yep. he sees he sees the rock that's about to take his spot. And I just wish wrestling, we didn't we didn't have to resort to these kind of tactics. And Well, the, the big thing about him is, like, as much as they, we say a new Undertaker after this and Undertaker quits his promo where he's done with the monsters of the week. He isn't. Mankind is a monster of the week. He was legitimately just brought into the company to be an Undertaker bad guy again. And who knows how long that would have lasted if that's what happened. He could have been out of that company Mm -hmm. at any stage in the next, not only not champion, he could have been out of that company at any stage in the next five years. And I think you're right, Connor. He knew that. This changes both their careers because Taker stops doing monsters of the week after this and Foley becomes the most empathetic or, you know, kind of face they have. He becomes the most traditional baby face they have later and most lovable character because it, it it's such a character work over his career, but it's legitimate. He will do anything to make fans pop. And that becomes his gimmick. He will do anything. And he did anything for the fans over time. So a couple quick big picture hits to, yeah. to end this. Do you guys think this kind of ruined wrestling? Um, no. It's, it, it almost ruined expectations of any big match. Hell in the Cell, obviously, like it became this dumb thing where it's they have one like one every year, so it's just it's not special anymore. But it just seems like, it's, particularly during this era, fans expected well, somebody's got to be thrown off something. Whether whether you have your Shane McMahon or your is it Rikishi get thrown off the the other cage, the and, Apocalypse one, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of ruined it for the fans that they, they they ramped it up so fast that it just. I think if it's not. If it's not this, and I think you have a very, very valid argument, I think the only other culpable thing is Austin. And it's because of Austin getting injured and he changes the entire style of wrestling, which then dominates right up till now. Yeah, I think this match is a symptom of something bigger. This match is a symptom of WWE ruining wrestling over the long term because they're so greedy for ratings even now that original ideas aren't allowed to breed because original ideas nearly always have a dip, right? Very few ideas are home runs off the bat. 
But you know what's a home run? Nostalgia. We'll see this with Disney. We see this with other enterprises before, without me digging too much into the whole media we have. But it's very easy to go back to the well of something that people expect. So when Shane goes off the top, we get to go, oh, remember when that was really fucking cool? Yeah. Well, it, they kind of did it again. Right. Of. And when Mick had his street fight with Triple H, that was kind of basically a greatest hits of, of his yeah. hardcore matches. Yeah. So sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's okay to bring, you know, everything to the forefront and play your greatest hits. Mick in this match actually did something really creative, really stupid. Hope it never happens again. But Mick with Terry Funk went, how do we approach this match in a way no one could ever think of? And unfortunately, because they've done that, no people don't get the chance to do that again. No one gets to one-up Mick. They don't have to be more violent. They just need to be more creative. Mick wasn't attempting to do the biggest thing of all time. He was trying to be creative and do something only he could. But that's not allowed by this company anymore. So I guess he did, but I don't think that's the fault of the match, more of the fault of the company that owns the property of the match. A bit like Disney, like all Disney movies are tend to, not all, this is like shrinking it down a bit too much, but a lot of Disney media is rehashes of old nostalgic things. And that's not the writers or the creators fault. That's the company who wants to make a certain amount of money off everything they do. And I think that's the unfortunate problem with this. This is such a high pinnacle of this era that everything is just trying to mark it off of like, points of this era the same way as Gus said Austin like people are doing the stunner now because they're hoping that it brings back some of the money from that era you know here's a question while this is definitely fa- uh, more famous do you think this did more damage than the TLC matches did that that one probably doesn't exist without Hell in a Cell though yeah that, that is very true this made it okay for mainstream WWE because we uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention we, we won't linger too much more on this but Mankind is now seems like a home run, Hall of Famer, very important to this era. While he's not a main player, does a lot for the main players to help them get over and is just feuds with them all. It's just great stopgap. He's got a good feud out of most of the main players of this era, right? At one stage, Vince was like, not a chance in fucking hell are we ever hiring that stunt double. Like, we are never going to have that style of wrestling in WWE. That's garbage. JR had to push for him for years. Every time, like one of these meetings that came up, he's like, "Have you like I worked with this guy in WCW? You should you should check this guy out." And eventually, apparently, he was hired just to say JR. He's like, "Don't talk to me about him again. He's hired, and we'll just have him fight Undertaker and be a monster heel." So this match and its popularity changed everything. It made TLC. It made hardcore. It made the hardcore title. Mick is given the hardcore title. Is it a year after this? Something like that? Yeah, no, uh, late, late 98 he gets it as a gift, yeah. So a bunch of super popular things that are popular t- till today that they're still trying to replicate come from Mick in this moment. From a guy that they never thought they'd have in the company. For a match type they never thought they'd have in the company, you know? I would say yes and no that it kind of yeah. ruined it. Because it, it, it did bring a lot of great things, but yeah, it ruined, ruined yeah. a lot of things. And I, I think some, somebody uh, responded to us on Twitter that Kevin Sullivan said that this moment cemented them winning the war which i'm not i don't know if i, I really don't think so i, I don't, don't know agree if i really that. agree with that I, yeah i mean i don't agree with a lot of what kevin sullivan says but i could definitely see that it would be a very demoralizing thing to watch i would be like shit how how do we do that yeah and we can't and they can't yeah they yeah can't. we we will move on we could i could probably do a thesis on why this match is important and cool and horrible and should never happen again and I'm sure you guys feel the same. But there's another interesting match on the card for different reasons. The main event, and I dread coming out after what I just saw, Kane versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWE Championship. 
in a first blood slash burn myself alive match. <laughs> now, in case you're confused, yes, it is the cane with a leather mask and an entire red suit that camouflages blood. And I, he even wears his other sleeve. Yeah, he usually is only one sleeve and he had double sleeve on for yeah. this match. But Kane's smart. Kane's the thinking man's wrestler. Like, Everyone knows this. JR or, or King, it must be JR though. He mentioned something about you'd even like Austin's shots would even bust through leather. I'm like, really? Like, I, I know he's kind of a superhero, but come on. <laughs> so if you thought with the ramblings we've gone on about the last match, that it was unreasonable that The Undertaker was allowed to wrestle with a broken foot. Steve Austin was in hospital treat four days prior to this match with a staph infection in his elbow. He almost died. He was dehydrated and had to be on IV before this match. He has a huge padding over his elbow. And yeah, he had a staph infection and still like still recovering from it. And you can kind of tell while a lot of his spots are the same, he's kind of low energy for this match. His wrapping is so large, it would it looks like a gimmicked weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Bob Orton loaded cast type deal. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think I can get across how large his elbow is, and which would only suggest how severe the staff infection was. Like, you, it's the size of a baseball. Easy. They, they have to do, they have to do it as well because, like, if it gets opened up at all, he's in trouble. That's how staff infections work. He could be in and a lot of trouble. This guy is the company. Let's, let's, yeah. let's make this clear that. They're stone cold and then it's way, way lower as everybody else. Like he is their money right now. When he's he, not on the screen, you should be asking where stone cold. And they do. They frequently yeah. do they, on Raw. Yeah. <laughs> it's frequent cuts at oh, Stone Cold's in the building. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, I lo- the the quintessential WWE. Look who's arrived in the building. Look who's walking to his locker room. He's very intense while he's in his locker room. <laughs> he's lacing his boots, everybody. Yeah, we got yeah. one. <laughs> it's just super typical. They do that, don't they? On the pay-per-view, I think? Yeah. Was, I don't know, but that's it's pretty much every it's definitely Raw. On a raw. It's definitely yeah. on a Raw. Anyway. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I would also like to think that WWE have learned from these lessons, but they let John Cena fight with a t- staff infection a while ago now. But, man, does someone have to die of this before before they stop? We're also bearing the fact of what else happens during the match. I know we're not talking about the full match as we go, so I don't think it's much to to, to skip ahead and just mention the fact that, you know, the way two people, well, at least one person nearly died in a ring 20 minutes ago, and then his opponent also was, like, severely mangled and whatever. Oh, they're in this match too, by the way. Both of them. Both of them. I love that they don't divide the matches. It's not like the Hell in a Cell is mid-card so that the guys can rest and we're not oversaturated with Taker and Mankind. Just one after another. Just have him straight back in. Mick has almost died, and it's not 20 minutes before he's back out fighting these guys. They also lift the cage and lower the cage. It's not It's not a cell match. <laughs> it's so In this weird. first blood match. It makes me feel nervous, because at a point they're like teasing that Austin's going to get crushed by it. But he could. Like That is still a heavy... Yeah, it's, it's pretty scary. ...structure. I'm like, this isn't fun, guys, because someone's controlling that with a button backstage, right? What if they just I'm, miss? What if there's a delay in the, the fucking hell is TV? Lowering the I'm, sale? That, that, I'm that willing part. to bet five, five premium US dollars they never explain who was, who was no. in charge. <laughs> it was probably Boss Man. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, and then they have Kane hanging out with the doors. It's hired. But then he flips off, but they never stop it to let him like flip off it when Austin pulls him down. So if they don't get the timing right, Kane's falling from a height. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Get stuck. Yeah. It's such an unnecessary spot as well. All the odds are still stacked against him. You literally have an opponent that can't bleed in a first blood match. Where is he going to bleed from? Yeah. After after that, there's an awkward moment in the match where you see a little blood on yeah. Stone Cold's back. But JR like awkwardly notes that, oh, Earl, he said he won't stop the match if it's for a skid knee or tiny scrape. It, it needs to be significant. And I hate first blood matches because they're it's so up to that kind of stuff and the the stop the belief. Because so many wrestlers, especially Stone Cold, who's very high intensity, very brawly kind of guy, he gets cut on his arm and back all the time. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, it's he, weird too, because the cut kind of like it, later in the match it kind of disappears. So I don't know. Yeah, if somebody, I don't like, know where it, it comes from, really. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's a bit it's of a mystery. It's just from like hitting the barricades and ropes, he got a tiny cut that bleeds a bit because he's getting thrown about. And then it gets wiped because I, I just, either him or the ref does it because they don't want a bunch of blood on his back when they're like the first blood match. I love Vince up in his box, in his uh, VIP box, but it's a first blood match. How does Vince ever know what's happening? Until the bells <laughs> yeah. run. Like whenever they click, whenever they go to him, there's no TV or anything. I'm like, how can I see anything going on there? There had also, to been the, the Titan Tron or there's always yeah. screens. Yeah. I guess. I also get that Sable like has to introduce him, but does she have to sit with him in her free time? Well, this is the, this is the, the goal overall. It's like, these are the important people, so they must be in shot as much as possible. That's yeah, all that yeah. it comes down to. It's not a good match, uh, frankly. Uh, it's not even that memorable compared to what happened before it. The ending is when there's a run-in by uh, Taker, and it sets up it sets up a very good feud, don't get me wrong, but it's uh, Taker swinging the chair to stop Mankind who would run in uh, to interfere, and he misses Mankind, who maybe fell unconscious. We'll never know. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I want and, to laugh, but it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and he just smacks uh, Austin. Who Austin does very good blade jobs. Him and Taker blade oh, very he, fast yeah. and very well. Oh, for Taker, s- Taker's blade job, by the way, is so badly done. You can see it on camera. Oh, can you? I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. He's uh, on he- the ground and the camera is panning towards him and you just see him cut, him, cut himself. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, what is there? I'll, put, I'll pose this question to you. Why does Stone Cold look so good when he bleeds? There's something very heroic about the man and he's been covered in blood multiple times in his career and he Old looks head, great. I guess. Yeah, maybe it's the yeah, no he's, hair. He's so clean cut visually. Uh, yeah. Like he's just what he, he's just just skin basically. Apart from his goatee, yeah. If, if you're if you're bald or if you have blonde hair like Flair, it just works. I yeah. guess. Yeah, Dusty. It, I guess as well had helps. blonde hair, and it does help that he just bleed like a motherfucker when he does. Well, he does those old school tricks, like he drinks a lot of uh, alcohol and orange juice before. Apparently, screwdrivers make you bleed like the Dickens. Is one of the it's old just alcohol. Tricks. Never heard that matter. one. It doesn't matter what alcohol it is. They, some people claim citrus helps for some other reasons, but okay. yeah. Maybe Never. maybe citrus is an additional blood thinner, but alcohol yeah, yeah. thinner. Right, sure. that, that's all that matters. Yeah, they, <laughs> really. they just get, but yeah, it's literally an excuse to get hammered before my, but no, legitimately a bunch of them just like purposely got a little buzz before a match because like when I blade, it's going to look amazing. It's going to go everywhere. Uh, it, it thins your blood. Yeah. That's right. what happens. And uh, yeah, the the final image of the ref finally waking up after a bunch of shenanigans. Undertaker pours gasoline on him for some reason. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Taker's like, I'm going to burn this. I'm not really sure of like why Taker does that. Just trying to wake him up. I don't know. Taker hates refs. There's this case. I I don't know why, but there's, there's a match in this era as well where Taker just turns to the ref and clocks him. And another ref comes out. 
and doesn't DQ Taker for some reason. And he also just clocks that ref and can, continues <laughs> no, doing the match. Like, I'm just kind of a bit confused by the ending in that. Like, yeah. So Foley comes out, obviously, to help Kane. That's yeah. that's very clear. And so Taker comes down to stop him. I don't know, because he didn't think that he beat him up enough in the previous match. And so when he misses and hits Austin, is it like, ah, fuck it. Like, I have a better chance of beating Kane. And so he decides to wake up the ref. Or I, I don't understand. Like, I think it's very believable that the man we saw in that Hell in a Cell match just wants to put that referee on fire. I, I, I guess. <laughs> but I just, I'm just, yeah. I'm not really sure, like, what his motivation is beyond stopping mankind and then when he does that like does he think austin isn't like bleeding covered in yeah. blood or I, don't I don't know there's no way to know yeah. the, the funniest part of the match is at the end when austin is covered in blood and the ref calls it and he's so surprised he's lost his title i'm like how are you surprised <laughs> you're drenched it is all over and he's, he's like bad mountain the ref. i think it's I'm a like, shock yeah. yeah he's just meant to be shocked he's like oh, i can't believe i lost like this because yeah. i clearly it didn't like get he's like i didn't like, lose i'm like you're quick you're caked in blood I, I mean, hats off to Earl for the for the excellent ref knockout because he's unconscious for so yeah. long. No, that was that was very uh, well done. It it it's rivals the the chief moment I think of WrestleMania at the also a Taker match against Hunter, where the guy is out for I'd say at least ten minutes and they they brawl through the crowd and back before he guy wakes up. <laughs> what, why does no one? Why is there never medical staff out for a referee if someone's unconscious for ten minutes? That's really concerning medically. Yeah. Or when you pour <laughs> gasoline on them. Yeah. <laughs> don't have health insurance or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Someone's dumping gasoline on a referee and no one's like, we should stop that. That should be stopped right now. It's actually a political <laughs> statement on the indictment of your health system. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, or, yeah, or we, we, they used all their budget on, on Mick, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't get the medics out. Why? I can't afford the ambulance. Oh God. Earl, no. <laughs> This is a constant, I think, in this era, and it's it's interesting to compare it to WCW. This match is bad, and I, there's no way for Obert I to actually don't it. think so. No, I, I don't think it's terrible. What? To be fair, no, get no. out of here, guys! No. It's so bad. You have you have not seen bad Stone Cold matches, yeah, <laughs> or you have not watched them recently. I should we, say we can cover some of him versus Paul White at one stage. I hear they're pretty uh, atrocious. A lot of his Undertaker matches are really yeah. bad. Yeah, this is also pre knee braces, Austin. Like he only has one here. No, oh, that's true. The thing about him, though, is, and it's really important, and as, as Gus says, maybe around the industry to an extent, the imagery is important. This, what we end on, so him covered in blood again, we know that worked before. We know he looks great. The, a picture of Vince victorious in, in that box. Some pictures of Kane sitting up. There are these moments, and WWF are now really bad for it, but they don't care about the overall match, really. They care about the moments involved in the match, and that's somewhat in the Hell in a Cell because you know the two famous bumps from that, or possibly three if you are, and some of the imageries of Mick. But the imagery of Stone Cold covered in blood—that's important. That's done, and if that's done properly, that's all they kind of care about. I think at the end of the day, do you think that's also starting to be prevalent? Like we've complained kind of about this in the WCW main events. Definitely, but I, I just I think this is head and shoulders. I, I was definitely more captivated with this, the drama of it, even the match quality. I, I, again, I think I think it's acceptable, especially like given the circumstances. Even the crowd was like pretty surprised. They go silent for the results when they when the when Finkel announces it. Does it say something for Stone Cold that they believed that he could beat the completely letter card Kane? <laughs> 
<laughs> that they thought he was going to get set on fire. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so context helps here. Cause so Vince has been trying to stack the deck constantly against yeah. stone cold. And in the previous month, I think it was the previous month where like stone cold was the referee and the, the stooges were like the timekeepers. Like how is stone cold going to get out of this? He, one? he counts and, his own pin. And yeah. And, and he does. So <laughs> I, I'm thinking just the audience had the perception of, Oh, stone cold. He'll find a way this time. And, I believe some of them thought they talked. I, they did a good job with this, actually. I have this in my notes. They talked about his mask a lot. And I think fan perception might have been we were going to see Kane's face. Yeah. We were mm. going to see Kane's face and it was going to bleed, <laughs> you, you know, or, or, some, or something of that. But I guess all the finishes are so screwy. You just expected Stone Cold to come out on top. That That's a fair point. And also Kane had been set on fire before. True. That is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess it's not a big leap that his whole body would be on fire if his I arm mean, was on fire. Before. I guess the the other part of it is that like eventually he has to lose, and yeah. then you can enact the next part of the storyline, which is like Vince getting to sho- shove it up him. Like I can't remember, but I presume he gets tiled back very. But at next least day. He, yeah. they have tried it the next day, and then I think they, the, literally the next day it's a one day rain. Yeah, yeah, next day, and then he finally loses it in like September. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, but way. it at least gives them something else to move along with as a storyline. Like it's not just stagnant. It's not Hogan not even being on the show or not defending you, his title. That was my big paragraph at the end of what the big difference with, with WWF and WCW is just every show moves. This, it turns the page, but WCW yeah. like for like months, we won't turn a page, but then maybe like two weeks, like we turn like four pages somehow. It and, just, and then they go backwards because they were yeah. like, no, three of those were wrong. <laughs> well, we, I, I, I really like uh, Gus's point there. Sometimes the title's not even on the card. They overuse Stone Cold at this stage because he's the he's the biggest thing wrestling has ever had and ever will have. But at least he's there. At least the title is always there and the main attraction is there and it's set up in a way for him to have a coherent story. Hulk just disappears. Now, I like that because I hate the man, but he does just disappear. If you're going to build your company around the NWO, why aren't why isn't Hulk center of a bunch of these stories? Why, aren't, why isn't stuff being built and splintered? off of him why does he just disappear for multiple papers that's why i'm very interested to see how goldberg's title run goes because I, I i've heard it's really bad and how they handle it so i i want to i want to see it firsthand of how it goes it, it's so interesting and in my mind these occurrences don't happen that close together to the, the peak of goldberg and the peak of austin but they happen pretty close, like extremely close together. The, the, this also after this, like I didn't realize how much this kicks off. Like we're not that long away from the Rock McFoley stuff, right? No, it's we're not coming that, up. It, well, yeah, like his like, deadly game is ninety eight, right? Yeah, yeah it, it's so. only yeah. five. Yeah, five months away. Yeah. And and that and and again, while, while I think Rock would have been fine without Foley, Foley really helps launch Rock into the main event, which ends with these big mania events. So Mick has lots of this role playing stuff that connects all these characters together over time. And I don't think like the Goldberg thing is just not as intricate, not as important. They're not launching as many stars. So. This is a starting point of, of WWE winning. They were winning a bit before this, and Austin is definitely the fulcrum of that. But I didn't realize King of the Ring launched so much stuff for the next year, and within a year, like this isn't close anymore within a year. This war is, is, a, is a joke within a year, and it never looked like it was even comparably close, you know? And you wonder how it was even close with the characters that WWE have in a year. I think really what it boils down to is that when WCW jumped out ahead, they had something different and they were 
better than WWF and they had something that people hadn't tapped into yet. But what Vince learned and leaned on was the stuff that he knew he had better. So yes, WCW had a better storyline at the time, but they never had the production. Like none of this works nearly as well without the quality of production that WWF is is able to bring to bear. Like they have the right shots, as Connor suggests. They have lots of ways to bring back storylines. Half the time when we watch a WCW pay-per-view, they don't really remind people about what's happened before. It's all like you're just coming to it for the first time. So there's that on its face. The second of it is that they they figured out, okay, Vince realized he is the hated, most hated man on the planet. And instead of like hiding away from it or deciding that he has to go another way, he just leaned into it as far as possible. Now, obviously, his character hasn't reached the caricature level yet. They've another year or so to go before it really hits the full height of it, I suppose. But he knows that he can get over and that people will eat this up. And then combined with the fact that Austin somehow crosses over and just becomes a supernova, they've just gone, right, this is what it is. This is the focus. Everything revolves around this. Everybody else will be involved somehow and we'll just work it from there. I think the last point that really comes across in, and really what WCW doesn't do apart from Goldberg, I suppose, is that once somebody demonstrates that they're over, they're pushed and they're put on all the time and they're given as much time as they need and they're they're always given focus points. So probably the clearest example is are the two women. Is it still an appropriate way to represent them most of the time? Probably not, but they're on the show every week. He knows that the fans love them. He knows that they, they want to see them. So he makes sure that they're on the show and then you go from there and it becomes a lot more organic that way. Yeah, this is just a massive springboard and it's just kind of night and day. Like when you think of how much better the majority of wrestlers are in WCW at the time comparably to WWF, but the top of the card is night and day. It It's insane also to see, I know, I know all these guys aren't exactly young or whatever, but that WWE are leaning hard into four new stars. They've had to make four new stars in less than a year. And they have, like all these men go on to roaring success they're all hall of famers right the the, the call main events and it feels like goldberg's about to come up and we're excited to see what that happens but besides goldberg we've complained about ddp not being slingshotted like we think he should be we're complaining about piper still being in the head of storylines even sting is kind of older and he's still not like prominent i can't see besides goldberg where the next level of wcw is how they're pushing through for the next couple years uh and WWE all, all like all power to them whether it be by vince's design or a lot of the individuals in this company at the uh, moment are very talented and really pushed their ideas across they have made stars and this night is a big jumping off point for them but there, there's an important question i ask at the end of uh of every podcast and uh, it's more important here now than ever guys whose side are you on wcw or wbf connor didn't even prepare for this question uh it's, it's obviously the wwf i mean this is kind of it's gonna be the era that it was like my favorite like couple months of wrestling probably ever so it's 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 a clear answer and not that like i dislike where wcw is going it's just i know where they end up starting with 99 is such a letdown so i, I can't wait to cover all that but right right now this, this is such an iconic moment 
I can't imagine what this like would have ha- been like if this happened like today with like social media and stuff. Oh my god! I can't imagine if like how how much like the company would have changed with them because like it was nice to have like kind of this folklore of like word of mouth. My friend tell me at school mm. you have to see this match. You have to see this guy get thrown off the stage. All right, man. Well, yeah, let's go to Blockbuster. <laughs> Blockbuster. And Gus, whose side are you on? This pay-per-view is better than any WCW pay-per-view we've watched. Yeah, Gus, I was going to bring up last time you mentioned uh, I would not pay for this pay-per-view. If you yeah. locked away all the footage of this show, you would, you could easily monetize it, I think. Yeah, it's not it's not a knockout show by any means. Don't no. get me wrong. Like Most of the wrestling is possible, and it's fine. I guess Shamrock and Rock is probably the best match on the card, if I had to pick one. But it's just a cohesive show. It knows what it wants to be. It has a moment, obviously, that is very not really that planned, but obviously is so incredible and unique that it brings it above. But it, it's responsible for so many knock-on effects then after that. So it's, yeah, it's... it's I, I can't think of like any WCW pay-per-view that really has that on, a, on the same level without some form of really, really awful thing in the middle or some terrible wrestling match or whatever it is. Um, so I have to be on the WWF side and if, oh God, pick out a wrestler from the show. I think I liked Rocky's contributions over the night or China. China is probably because I think the most important thing with her was is that she's represented not just because she's a woman, but she's represented equally, I think, for the vast majority of what she does on the show. She's not talked down to, she's not demeaned, which is a big deal considering all the shit that they're going to do in the next two years. I think for myself, yeah, it's not close. It's like, this is such a pivotal moment in wrestling history. Like this is on par, I think with the, this pay-per-view might be on par with the, who's the third man. Like it, it would be awfully close. One thing that I'm missing from a lot of WCW that isn't like the pure mid card is there's so much passion in what these guys do. What Mick did was stupid should have never happened and his bosses should have never let him do it and Taker should have never let him do it he should have never been allowed to do this but he is willing to murder himself for moments and for the company he works for and the people he works with and I think a lot of the main event while some of the end, uh, main eventers were some of them end up being toxic about it later in their career really want to make what they're doing succeed and that comes across a lot in their wrestling and something I'm really missing from watching our WCW pay-per-views so I'm uh, Team WB and uh, Team Mick Foley. But that's us for another episode of the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our special episode. Next week, we'll be back to our usual WCW for a very big moment. Stay tuned for that. You can find us on social media. Uh, Connor, where can they find us? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, WCW versus NWO podcast. Uh, Patreon.com slash WCW versus NWO podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can always donate $1 to get all our bonus uh, nitro flashback episodes those are a lot of fun uh check out sportsobsessive.com we post our episodes there i also i'm working on an article about the rivalry for um rob van dam and jerry lynn it's gonna be a fun article to write oh amazing one of, one of my favorite rivalries in wrestling history but until then from me connor Ingles, we'll see you next time <laughs>